when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello. You found Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's, that's been inspiring what it is. and uh, provoking us lately. That's what it is. Gathered around the table this week, we've got Patrick Klepek. Yep. Yeah, that's the intro. Renata that's Price. <laughs> oh, okay. hello, gamers. I didn't see you there. Producer Ricardo Contreras. He did it. He. That's what you were looking for. You were pulling for that mm-hmm. intro, and I, I understand now why you didn't remember it. It's very Rob. It's very uh, particular. I need to light a candle and, and channel my inner Rob the next time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a lot to talk about this week, but I do need to apologize to Patrick at the start of the show <laughs> and own up to a mistake I made on Friday's pod. We had some really involved discussions of <laughs> Destiny and Grid Legends. Um, but the entire time, Patrick is there with an arguably much bigger story about his experience with the Steam Deck. We should have gotten to that. It was timely, and Patrick had put in a lot of work getting his review ready and was primed to discuss it on Friday. Uh, so to make it up to Patrick, I'm going to turn it over, you, over to you at the start of the show. What did you think of Serial Experiments Lane? <laughs> <laughs> I watched one... One episode, Rob, uh, the first half of which, the first 13 minutes was, well, I thought my kid was being put to sleep by my wife and then it turns out my kid was not. And so then I had to go in and my wife and I were sitting down to watch a movie. So I didn't watch the end. And then I watched the last 12 minutes during my lunch, but then it was like on a real time crunch. I also had to like prep lunch and then walk my dog. And so I finished those last 12 minutes and it's hit to be continued, but I, I don't know. That lady seems like she needs a better computer. That was like my takeaway from the pilot. Um, I feel like maybe you should have paid closer attention to the pilot uh, if that was your takeaway. But, you know, Kyle and Ren, this was this is your waypoint for the week. You've been been sort of watching it together. Uh, I should just log off. No, 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 Patrick, you need to stay here. For every delicious minute of this conversation. This is so funny because also there was like at the end of the stream, I, I told uh, Kyle and Ren, I was like, I don't know, like maybe we'll do the Steam Deck thing at the top and then I'll just like bounce and let you guys talk about the things that you've been doing. And then Rob, Rob, Rob <laughs> Gettysburg <laughs> Rob has has pincered me into, a, into, into sticking around. Anyway, Rob, Rob is out here doing Gendo Akari face, which is like one of my favorite <laughs> things. Like he's not doing the hands, but he is doing Gendo Akari face this entire fucking he's like the dulcet tones he's leaning into. This is this is an expertly crafted. This is an artisanal Rob's acne that we're getting right now um kato do you want to introduce um serial experiments lane sure it's an anime 
Uh, Zero Experience Lane is a <laughs> is an anime that came out in uh, 1998, I believe. Um, that is about never the it. internet, huh? <laughs> You'd never think <laughs> it. It came out, yeah. It came out. Uh, interestingly enough, after Evangelion, it doesn't apparently, supposedly, for the first half of the series, doesn't have influence from it, which I think is a lie, but <laughs> or just a funny coincidence. But it's about the internet. It is about uh, the wired, as they call it in that world, um, and people's connections through it, and also some other wild shit at the end of the series. Um, but uh, Waypoint contributor, who is not currently here, Natalie Watson, said in a server that we're all in, hey, I've never seen that anime before. And a bunch of people were like, we should just watch that anime. It's a good one. Uh and it's been interesting to watch uh, these days because it's it comes out you know in the early times of the internet existing on like a consumer level. Um, AOL discs are showing up in your mailbox, yeah. every couple of days. Yeah. saying, don't you want a thirty day trial? trial? Like, no, I've got CompuServe. I'm good. <laughs> but it's still a thing that isn't fully integrated into people's everyday lives yet, right? Um, and this kind of imagines a future where it it has become that uh, to a kind of um, almost Matrix-like degree of like, you know, AR things existing in the world in a way that uh, look like reality, right? That's one of the themes of the show as well as uh, when simulation becomes uh, so un... un uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Un... Un- indistinguishable. indistinguishable thank you jesus from from reality uh how uh you would react to being kind of fucked with that way i guess is a way to say it um uh it's a short one which is really really great 12 episodes in and out uh and um i guess that's that's the intro to uh the serial experience lane uh we just watched the last two episodes. That's three episodes. Uh, what was that? Saturday? Friday? Saturday? Saturday. I don't know what days are anymore. Um, how do you Serial feel about Ex- it, Ren? How do you feel about the Serial show? Serial Experiments Lane is a television show about some pretty vintage depression. We're yes. tra- We're talking like, we're talking like the kind of, the kind of depression that you can't get at the store anymore. Um, you have to go to a thrift shop to buy this depression gotta get this Um, one on a CD-ROM exactly legitimately like if you go to YouTube and search Serial Experiments Lane opening you will see VHS rips as the most popular version of this opening (laughs) by Mm -hmm. a significant margin and for good reason they don't make depression like this anymore Um, but Serial Experiments Lane is like a television show at its core about how people connect to each other. And and that's why, like, you know, it's hard not to see the Ava connection. Um, is that, like, the fundamental question of this show is, like, how are we able to connect with people? And how does that expose us to harm? Um, in addition to these questions about the internet. Like, one yeah. of the show's, like, early theses is the idea that human beings are the product of, like, material conditions. Right. Both in terms of like the world around us, but also, you know, literally we are material beings. Consciousness is produced by 
signals firing in the brain, right? And one of the show's early arguments that it kind of goes, that it's interested in interrogating later is the idea that that's what the internet is. It is a series of physical systems working in such a way to produce an effect. And in that way, there is no real distinction between the real world, which is produced by physical phenomena, and the digital world, which is also produced by the same physical phenomena of consciousness, right? And basically, the show is revolving around this existential crisis of, like, both in terms of the character dealing with this existential crisis, but also, like, the world and society um, (laughs) dealing with existential crisis regarding, like, how do we determine which of these things is the real one? And how do we even find our senses of selves in this? And like, as someone who is currently like went from a position in which I was like public facing in terms of my writing, but not public facing in terms of my, my literal human face and my voice uh, into a position that like the online and like performative self that I am crafting is explicitly different from the person that I am in your day-to-day life. And like, I kind of hit lane at the perfect time as I'm like thinking and going through these exact like internal conflicts um, regarding like selfhood. Um, And the show like centers on this young girl as she interacts with the wired for the first time and very quickly becomes basically a fucking master of it. Like she is, she is a step below a deity in terms of her mastery of this particular like digital space. And it's really good. It's a really good show. I think it has interesting things to say about um, society, but also <laughs> equally interesting things to say if you apply like a disability or queer lens to it. There's like super interesting things about performativity, yeah. about um, the way people experience emotion and the way that like emotion is filtered through being neurotypical and like the way emotion is filtered through like social connections. It's like, it's, it's so good. Um, I'm I'm a big fan, and also its intro song, "Do They," uh, by Boa, fucking rips. Fucking <laughs> rips. The introduction song to this show. We watched 13 episodes in a Discord server. How many times did we skip the introduction, Kyle? None. None. Zero. Not Zero percent of the time. Once. Zero percent of the time. You don't seem to understand. And that's a shame because you seemed an honest man. Oh, God, it's It's so so good. good. It's so good. Rob, what did you think of Serial Experiments, Lane? So I watched the first two episodes. Um, There are, there's a lot of touches I I really like. There's things about the intolerability of living in one's skin, uh, living in the world uh, that comes, like, this has some of the most, um, like, the sound design is brilliant. Yeah. It is excruciating. Yeah. <laughs> like the world is like leveled down except for some of the most intolerable little noises and background mm-hmm. like uh like audio that is imaginable. The the signature one of course being the 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 hum of like high capacity voltage lines mm-hmm. uh strung over uh you know Lane Lane's neighborhood. But even beyond that like uh, you know, uh, riding the subway, um, the the chatter of other people is just unbearable. Uh, it is it is a show that is it is constantly like reminding you of how overwhelming and uncomfortable like the experience of being uh, can be. Um, and it, it underlines that as well by being a very this is 
I would say it's not generally a very um, like dynamic show visually in, in some senses, but it relies a lot on like really careful compositions. They're very like arresting. Um, it's, it's not a show of like big flashy, like blocking or stagings of scenes, but it is a show of a series of like, uh, like composed shots and reaction shots mm-hmm. that again, sort of heightened sense of alienation, uh, and other, um, there's a great moment where, um, we see Lane, like we have a moment where she's sort of engaging with her classmates, uh, in like discussion in class uh, around some events that have happened. But later we see when she sort of entered sort of this introspective fugue uh, during class and everyone else just sort of grayed out that the, the everyone like the room is just kind of this, this empty space full of like the gray the gray masses of people uh, and Lane is alone within it, which is again, another sort of recurrent theme. Um, it is so like it communicates a lot of these themes really, really beautifully. Um, it has the look of a horror. It, it finds the horror in the everyday in a way I find, um, sublime. Like when, uh, her father, who is the, uh, admin for slash battle stations, um, <laughs> is checking out his new hardware. Yeah. Like the creepy. What's the way to put it? Uh, all like ravenous and mm-hmm. almost sexual interest he takes in his array of machines as he's wrapped himself in this like semicircle of different uh, like computers um, is is genuinely like spooky. Um, everything yeah. about Lane's house is spooky. Um, and it's, it's just such a, it's like the, the vibes are, are tremendous is I guess the way, what I'm getting at. Every time her mom is on screen, I am fucking mortified. The way that woman (laughs) interacts with Lane and like interacts with like emotion is like haunting. It is like, it is, it is doing like, you know, terrifying parental figure better than anything I've almost ever seen. Just because the way in which her mother is just like openly disdainful but in a way that is like at a remove it is openly disdainful in a way that becomes affectless and removed that is like legitimately haunting um we also think that like you know one of the notes you make rob is why i've been thinking about this show in relation to like disability um lane is constantly overstimulated like she is constantly dealing with absolute overwhelming overstimulation and like i remember one point i went into a doctor for to like get my tonight to like to get tinnitus checked out. And I was like talking to the doctor and like, we can't find anything physically wrong with your hearing. Uh, and then they did like a hearing test and they were like, Oh, you can just hear frequencies that you shouldn't be able to. You're just hearing the electricity in the walls and in your room literally 24 seven. And so like, that's just a thing that is about you. And like, is up from what I've understood it's increasingly common to find that in people with ADHD and autism is to find the ability to like be able to hear things you should be able to, which contributes to hyper overstimulation and like seeing lane in those moments of overstimulation is like really, really interesting to me, especially because like over and under stimulation, because that's the other thing the show does really well is what happens when your brain is starved of information. And so grabs onto the closest thing it can, which, you know, in, Lane's case is the hum of those wires 
when the world is too quiet, you latch on to the quiet to the to the one thing you can hear, and it is the worst thing possible. Yeah. There's also a a really interesting uh I think there's a position that the show wants to set up between adults and children in this in this moment. Uh just like the moment that it was coming out, also in the wired, there's kind of an escalation of what the technology is happening throughout. Uh, you, it gets more into it in the later episodes, but it also kind of shows up in the ways that uh, uh, adults and kids interact differently and make uh, their identities different, like create identities differently from each other. Right, the idea of like people growing up with the internet as a space and understanding, having an un- and not having having a kind of almost intuitive understanding of a different persona that you p- present online um, versus adults who have had who who are coming into this after having already you know formed an identity yeah, yeah less, I, I grew up with the the facebook thing saying like what do you want to say and i was like i don't fucking know <laughs> man what what do you mean what do i want to say because it used to be a prompt right, right. like yeah. it was like it had it asked a question as opposed to make a blank line and like it doesn't have that anymore but like that's a really important like marker along this social journey of like here's a space here's a prompt, like write something. And obviously like th- that has proliferated, you know, in different, different, you know, different forms all the way up to, you know, modern social networks like TikTok. But like, yeah, like having grown up in that, it's what I think about with my kid all the time. You know, it's like, I grew up in the social networks and computers becoming popular. Like the reason my kids, uh, even, you know, my two-year-old, like she pokes at the TV cause she just assumes it's a touchscreen, which is a completely reasonable <laughs> you know, uh, form of interaction, but right. like both those kids are going to grow up in a world in which all of that is just normalized and part of like how they think of themselves. Like the performance aspect exists since birth. Yeah. Um, and obviously we all perform in different ways, but like the way we do that, like different personas and different social platforms, like is just part of how you grow up now. And that like, it's not scary, but also it's just reality. It's probably not scary for them, but because uh, it's just it is the way it is. But I also yeah. think that something that's happened is that like the internet has been tamed in some ways that it wasn't back at this moment. Like, yeah. like to a degree, like the app that uh, toddlers is poking around is designed not to let you out of it and into right. the broader internet. And it feels like one of the things running through uh, Lane. Uh, the series here is this sounds very common in like late nineties, early two thousands media, uh, and and the source of a lot of like cringe vintage uh, sequences sequences that exist on YouTube, right? Like famously the Buffy, if you're not jacked in, you're not alive uh, moment, like stuff like that. But like one of the things that one of the dreads manifesting in Serial Experiments Lane is that the internet is a vector through which <laughs> a different world might be open to you, but it might be a haunted world. Like that it's, it's, it's not like that there might be like forms of magic or something very much like it existing in this space. And like when you are connected to it, because it's so unregulated and because just the experiment, the, the experience of like being online in this era is just one of kind of experimentation and just forging into the unknown. Um, you don't know what you'll find there and you don't know what might be like what looking back at you. And that seems to be one of the dreads that, that is underlying this. Like the first episode sort episode sort of centers on um, everyone in Lane's class is getting messages from a girl that we see 
uh, throw herself off a roof, uh, like in the middle of the episode. But she appears to be in the net. Like Lane is getting messages, not like emails, but like actual like live chats with something purporting to be this girl's spirit that like she slopped off this mortal coil so that she could exist in the wired. And this is one of like the fundamental questions of the show that it gets to later on, not to like spoil it wholeheartedly, but like that is a question of this show. Like there is a conversation with a person who goes, I am offering you a world without a body. Do you take it? And like, for me, that is like one of the like most interesting turning points in the series and like where the most direct parallels to Evangelion come in is like the final question of this television show is what does it mean to connect with someone? And so, like, throughout the entirety of it, like, you know, connection is, like, through this magical process that you're talking about, this, like, impossible magical process that you're talking about, like, through these, like, through the digital space. And, like, that's one of the things I found most interesting about Lane and, like, the, our conception of the modern internet is the fact that, like, Lane's idea of the wired is overwhelmingly material. The computer in Lane's room by the end of the series has coolant pumps. It is an entire, it is like the, it is the way that you think of computers in the 1960s. It is an entire fucking room of like coolant pipes and liquid carbon. And like, it is. That's funny. Because the one she starts with is something so much like the iPad that a child would get into, right? Mm -hmm. Her little baby Navi. Yeah, uh, is this cute child's toy that connects to the internet, but like isn't powerful. But if you look at it, its aesthetics have so much more in common with the direction electronics have gone mm-hmm. since that era. So that's that's so interesting that like the arc for her is to like build the mainframe in and the her- mainframe becomes increasingly organic. It yeah. looks organic in ways that are uncomfortable. And the show leans into that idea of uncomfortability and also like. One of the things that happens at one point is um, it gets hacked. Uh, and the way it gets hacked is it causes a coolant explosion in the room. So, like, even, even software, like, hacking becomes physically manifested in this show in ways that is, like, visceral and material. And that, like, in the final episodes, it leans into that as hard as possible with, like, one of the most upsetting scenes of body horror <laughs> that, like, I have seen in my entire life. Yeah. And I'm, like, a Cronenberg stan. Um just wild shit. But like, you know, one of the fundamental questions is it the show believes that or seems to believe that through the wired or like through the internet, right? You can directly connect to a version of a person in a way that you can't in the real world, right? But it also understands that like those are different kinds of intimacy. Those are radically different kinds of intimacy because there's a late show conversation where Lane is talking to the one person she has not, quote unquote, connected with. And she she says, I love you. You are the one person who has seen me. And like, that is fascinating to me. The one person who she doesn't go into their conscious, who she doesn't create a version of herself in their mind is the one who she's like, you are the person I did not connect with in this space. And it's it's really, really fascinating the way that the show thinks about bodies um and performativity and like the choice that lane makes at the end of the series is just like it switches into a very metaphorical space in a way that i find extremely extremely interesting like the the show gets increasingly magical and increasingly allegorical um as the series goes on even the introduction right even the opening like credit sequence like highlights that at the end of the opening credit sequence you have 
lane walking through the space and her hat blows off. And like one of the most like, I don't know, that image of her seeing her hat suspended in the air as something has broken in the world and then walking on anyways is one of the most like affecting shots in the entire series and you get it every episode and it takes on meaning every episode like by the end of the series the opening is like a wholly different thing despite having the exact same frames and music like it hits you in a way that is like yeah startling it's also and you won't miss that because funimation for me is playing it as a separate episode between the episodes every single time what like episode ends i get a separate video file that is just the intro that plays. And at first I was like, is this how they're doing the intro? And then the next file will just be the episode. No, no. The next one will also have the intro is fascinating. No, this is, this is through the Xbox app. The Xbox app. It's doing that. Yes. Fucking repete, oh my god! They're doing what? They don't want you to miss it. They're like, this intro is so good. The, I mean, they're the, right. They're, they are <laughs> right, but that's going to fuck with some things later on. Because they also, yeah. this show likes to mess with structure, uh, mm-hmm. especially as it hits the end, as it becomes more metaphorical and allegorical. It also starts to, uh, you know, mess with things metatextually within its own structure. And, you know, the the fact that you're looking at a screen becomes important. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so if you're getting that, just fed to you that's gonna be funny that's weird. weird i we, we i think we also funny. were watching it on funimation but on a mm-hmm. on a computer not through Look, the app so it we didn't all do know that weird for us. things happen to me weird <laughs> things just happen to me um but no i'm like Shit, i look rob's, rob's being watched by the knights <laughs> i am uh rob is rob is rob is interacting with a different version of the wire than serial we experiments oh rob <laughs> those first two episodes I, I will say like i was i was really excited by it like, i'm really glad you recommended this um i've got one day left on my funimation subscription <laughs> we know what rob's doing tonight <laughs> oh god oh, rob if you watch you should watch all the show, but if you watch it all in one night, I am so interested to talk to the Rob Zachney of tomorrow because we were talking to a friend of ours who was like, yeah, I watched this entire show in one night and like early 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh and I was Lord. like, I was like, oh my God, Holy were you shit. okay? And yeah. they were like, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> um, and like, that is like part of the power of the show is that like watching it does have that power like it it is like and that's why i like love it like as a work having seen it only once but i will like probably come back to it repeatedly over the next like oh, yeah. couple of years because like it has this affective quality that is like unlike anything else i've like unlike few other things i've encountered in terms of media it just like understands dream logic and like a certain emotional mode um so fucking well i can't like yeah. It's good really, show. It also it sounds fun. like it's um, part of the, you know, uh, the issues that can crop up with like internet centric media from the 90s are the assumptions it makes about where the internet is going can make the, <laughs> the story it tries to tell not really work any anymore. Um, and so it's fascinating that, you know, especially Ren for someone like you, despite this being like a late 90s work that I think it wouldn't have shocked me to have like have someone that didn't grew up in that era to then like, Oh, it just doesn't work for me. Cause like the cornerstone, like the touch that cultural touchstone is just like, 
don't make any sense for me and how I appreciated or like went through the internet growing up. Uh, I think it's fascinating that like Lane still manages to like, despite his assumptions about the internet that yeah. like seem pretty reasonable from like where, how people were speaking about it at the time doesn't seem to diminish like its impact as a, as a, as a, as a story um, despite its removal from that context. As someone who like Lane grew up directly directly on the internet with a frame of reference like the show actually gets it pretty much spot on like it is it is doing a a pretty great job of like demonstrating what it is like to grow up in this particular like context of 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 on of capital o online um in a way that i think is like extremely impressive um and like deeply prescient like the show's understanding of what it means to be online and like what social interaction and what like truth looks like on the internet is like fucking wild it's so good it's uh, it's it's striking how many of those like late 90s like there's there's a lot of like corny things that like totally don't get what what's coming the net <laughs> even the net the horror <laughs> of like the fact yeah, that her- i haven't rewatched it so the net is like it is kind of corny. Like there's things like uh, a recurring beat is a virus is being passed along through Mozart's ghost, the <laughs> raddest band on the internet. It's just a little MIDI file or something that like uh, is uh, like creating a little yeah. uh, like fe- feeding a virus <laughs> to the system each time it's played. But the thing it gets is that like Sandra Bullock's character in that is someone who's chosen to exist almost entirely online. And now the the movie is just like inherently that's bad like we like the physical world like you know face to face that's what's important but the horror it's getting at is this notion that hey like you your identity could exist in these places that like it just becomes data that can be compromised or erased or deleted and everything you are and everything you've done can be wiped out overnight if someone gets like complete enough access to it you have to uh, fucking watch the rest of Lane, Rob, Lane. because like, <laughs> yeah. because like, you are describing one of the like most existentially horrifying things about the television show and its understanding of both like the internet, but also of like the way information works. Yeah, even outside of the internet is fucking mortifying. It is terrifying and also like deeply sad. It is it the show Lane is doing things with the specific thing that you're talking about that like no other piece of media I've interacted with has because it's also like other things have done the actions that Lane does, but with the intentionality and like thematic cohesion, no, it is it is absolute god tier. Uh, All right, well that it, is uh, yeah. Oh, uh, just one last thing that I was gonna yep. say was just that it. I feel like for as much as it'll randomly miss on things like UX and UI, like that's it. That's the, the like, smallest. Is that even thing. a miss as much as just no? It's because like, there's there was like there was the internet then, right? And it already skips ahead to like a, a a situation that is like too futuristic. But the the computers all look like they're you know Mac the twos box, or whatever. I love it. Yeah, uh, and that's fine. So Here's the thing: is like it doesn't matter that it does that because it, the thematics that it's talking about are so strong that you like gloss over. It doesn't really matter, even if it would normally have bothered me. And something that's doing a worse job at talking about the structure of the internet rather than like the visual interpretation of the internet uh this like blows past that into a much more interesting space um yeah uh it is it is also worth noting that the that the lead writer of the show did turn out to God be uh did did suck 
uh, it's actually kind of funny, not funny, but interesting what happened in his situation. The lead writer of the television show Lane, uh, a guy who's obsessed with the internet and thinking about how the internet constructs information and identity, uh, ended up getting like super red pilled and becoming like a COVID truther uh, and a Trump supporter uh, in Japan. So basically, like the is part of like the like Japanese contingent of like QAnon uh, and like w- wild Trump support. So it's I think it's deeply interesting to me that the person who maybe was that's not that shocking internet, though. Maybe that, like I feel like if you way. were to like if like, I don't watch the whole work, but like the way it's been described, if you were, we were then to spin a wheel and create like three outcomes for the person who con- conceived this, like. I think that might end up on one of the three. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. You yeah, can it's, see it's, the, the through line, but it's... It becomes um, a QAnon guy, the moderator of r slash battle stations, or a trans girl. Those are the only options he <laughs> had. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it does feel like sort of the kind of skepticism and like growing paranoia of that era and people with that perspective. Like, I think some of the things that can happen is it's very easy for people coming from that perspective to become subject to the same forces they most fear without ever realizing it. Right. Mm, that like mm-hmm. that, that perspective has weaknesses in its defenses um, because it, like in some ways, because of its skepticism and if they are exploited, it's very like, I've always felt like it's so easy to not well, realize that like your skepticism is being turned to take you further and further, like out of reality. One of our uh, like, mutuals um that we watched the series with uh was like talking after the call about the show and um paranoia and and conspiracy this is a show about conspiracy and about paranoia and about like the way information is filtered through the idea of conspiracy and paranoia and the way in which like every single thing you see in this television show is filtered through that lens is filtered through that idea of paranoia and and stress and and that causes um, information to take on certain things. Like you, the entire show, Lane is being manipulated. And you, she is your perspective character. You are also going through this manipulative process. And so I think, the Rob, your point to like the way in which it affects radicalization and like the way people interact with the internet is like extremely, extremely prescient and like fascinating. Yeah. Um, especially with the context of, of its creator. We need to. We need to watch the rest of this thing. We need to, Patrick. We need to get to the bottom of these serial experiments. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. We, yes. We have like twelve hours to do that though. Sicko's it, voice. Six. Yes. You, you only need six. like five and a half. Yeah, it's I'm twenty not, minutes. Agree, it's twenty I, I, minutes. I, I'm not disputing. I'm not disputing <laughs> that's how much time it would take to watch it. But that I'm saying that you need to. F- that you have to find those hours in your day. <laughs> it's true. Rob, well, if you do just a, twenty minutes a day, you could do it in a week. How much do you sleep? <laughs> shave off little bits of that. No, anyway, Rob you don't ma- sleep very much. So yeah, Rob is making yeah, shadow yeah. hours. He's finding shadow time. Not, not other people know about this. Oh, yeah, Rob, 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 Rob another excuse to stay up an extra twenty minutes. I mean, I'm working so Ooh. hard on trying to like not. I'm working hard on trying the story of my life. Uh, <laughs> but so I'm really, I'm really trying, guys. Uh, really doing my best to try to occasionally uh, like see the back of my eyelids before two in the morning. One of my favorite things I saw recently on TikTok was this person explaining, uh, who like has some similar brain stuff to me, explaining the fact that she she like plans out her days in like a calendar, like a spreadsheet, right? Uh, but there is a phantom twenty fifth hour that she does schedule things into, 
And they always get done. Like, that's the fascinating thing about the Phantom <laughs> 25th Hour is that, like, she puts things in there and they do happen. And, like, objectively, is she probably only experiencing 24 hours? Yes. But does the 25th Hour seemingly exist for her? Also, yes. And you know what? <laughs> that is the kind of perspective about time that I'm interested in. I've had two doctors ask me recently, do you think for you as a day... Do you think for you a day is 24 hours? Like, are you convinced that you have a 24 hour clock? And I was like, given that I seem to fall out of sync on the regular, it feels like maybe not. And they're like, okay, yeah, I mean, there's some people. Um, but yeah, it's weird. It's fucking, you're just like validating the <laughs> Ren's belief in this becoming science. Fucking Rob's sample rate is wrong. Like the sample <laughs> rate on Robert Zachney is just like slightly off. Like the rest, like most people are working at 44, 44.1 and Rob is working at 4,800 hertz. And it's like, it's just off enough that you can't notice it most of the time. But if you like give it's a leap out, if like. Exactly. Like it's like if Rob gives you an audio file of his human life, like it's going to be just slightly sped up in a way that, like, if you notice it, you're going to have to change the sample rate. Oh my god! What if, what if, like, every time Rob's audio dips low, it's actually we're just seeing the physical manifestation of Rob slipping into the extra hour (laughs) of Rob? Yeah, of Rob's sample rate changing because because his hardware is being like, what the fuck is the sample rate that everyone else is using? Oh my god! (laughs) Extremely good. Extremely funny. Uh, so you can check out Serial Experiments Lane on Funimation, um, and there's probably other avenues through which you can get it yeah. as well. The rip, the Funimation version is very pretty. I will give them that. Is that they have a very yeah, have crisp a rip. It is a it is a it is a crisp rip um, of that show. Dubs or subs? I was listening to. The, I was watching it with subs, but like, is the dub good? The dub's fine. They changed some writing. They like changed like some like. Line well, so that was my problem. So I, I watched the first half. Just put the dubs on, not even thinking of it. And then when I sat down to finish the first episode at lunch, I was like, oh, I'll put on the, the you know, the subtitles. And I was like, ah, we're different here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of I either need to change the language to, 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 to the original Japanese yeah. or turn off those captions because we're out of sync. <laughs> yeah, there's and which like happens regularly because of lip flaps and like sentence lengths and all this shit. But at the same time, it's like. With Lane, there is meaning that is changing between the dub and sub versions that I think is like worth worth seeing the the subtitled version for yeah. like very slight, very slight like syntax differences that will like totally change the meaning of a line um, that I think is like really interesting or like make a line open to much more interpretation than the like English version, which is a lot more like direct. Uh, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's neat. Um, it's a good show. Um. All right, Patrick. <laughs> Do I take a break first? We can take a break. Yeah. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved. You've researched. And you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 
And we're back. Patrick. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't know. I'm just, oh. I'm going to mute myself. Oh, wow. fuck, that Out of the call. so funny. Oh, God. No, for real. Patrick, I'm really throwing you now. I'm really throwing oh, okay. you. This is, this is honest. This is on the level. Okay. You're ready to catch up. So you've been playing with a Steam Deck uh, for like over a week now. Uh, you've had a it in weeks, your hands. Early, yeah. early February they sent it to me, I think. Um, but did you put any thought into how the Steam Deck got to you? Uh, like mm. the logistical wow. lines through which it traveled <laughs> to arrive at your door. Oh my God. I actually, I, you know what, Rob? Coincidentally, I have because I thought it was very curious that when they timed the embargo to what they claimed to be the launch of the Steam Deck was actually them just sending confirmation emails to people that, hey, you've had your, you, your the lottery's come up, you're allowed to click the, the payment processing, and then we'll think about sending you one oh my because God. they cannot make, like, any of these fucking devices. So actually, <laughs> you know what? You got me, Rob. Uh, I have thought about the supply chain in uh, relative to, to the Steam Deck, but... How does the supply chain even work, and why is it so bad right now? <laughs> well, uh, you know, the, it turns out that is my waypoint uh, for the week. Uh, there've been a Damn. lot of people doing like good stories, good good dives on this topic. Uh, I sort of pointed out two oh. uh, two places where people have taken interesting looks at some of the story because because it you know it's a thing that affects every every aspect of this, right? Which is there are bottlenecks with uh, like inputs to like manufacture. Uh, devices, but then there's also the supply chain crunch, uh, which is just like the movement of goods uh, is just bottlenecked in a way that it hasn't been, uh, you know, in in ages. Um, and the two things I sort of suggest people take a look at is uh, Planet Money did a has done a number of like interesting shows on this topic, but one of the things they did was this episode uh, called "Of Boats and Boxes." Um, which went up actually in like November of last year. And it was a look at operations at the port of Long Beach, which is like the biggest uh, like West Coast port. Um, I think it's, I think it's even bigger than Oakland, although that's another one that's just like slammed. Um, and then how the overflow there is causing shipments to get diverted to a port that until recently was much less heavily used because it was modern. But then they also sort of wrap up by looking at um, a completely different port management system that exists in Virginia, uh, where the supply, the some of the crises you've seen at ports hasn't manifested. But like what I really found interesting about this is just like the sheer number of things that never occur to me to think about in terms of like why stuff gets so screwed up in logistics. Like one of the things they talk about here uh, is the fact that. There is a shortage or not even shortage. A lot of this is like misallocation, right? But there's a moment in like this this podcast episode where they're talking about, you know, what we can't we can unload the containers. But you know what we don't have are the truck chassis to put them on uh, and drive them off because those are being like hoarded by some companies just in case their shipments come through. And then they need those uh, the, those truck, those truck chassis uh, or they are just gone. All the chassis are, you know, being driven cross country away from the port when the next shipments come in and they just stack up there because you physically can't drive them out of the port. And just this weird notion of like, oh, yeah, like the container has to be put on this thing. 
and there's a finite supply of those things. And if they go away, if they if they drive off into the sunset, everything falls apart. This entire like this entire like clockwork operation of like global shipping falls apart because like, yep, uh, we just don't have these steel frames to move these containers around. So it's like things that aren't critical that suddenly are critical because you didn't realize they were critical. Uh, like there was a there was a there was a tweet I saw going around earlier today relative to you know the Russian invasion of Ukraine and where it was like a tech company that makes some device I have no idea what but it's basically along the lines of uh, Ukraine is definitely like what we make in Ukraine is not critical to the operation of what we do until we found out what we do in Ukraine is critical to the operation of what we do um, mm-hmm. and it's just like one piece of like whatever it would this this tweet was in relation to but it was the same sort of thing where it's like no if you were to like break down the top 10 things we need to do what's happening over in Ukraine now one of them and then but then it turns out when you can't access that one thing holy shit none of the other stuff matters <laughs> well I think that like this is one of the things that the article that Rob Sennis gets at is the fact that like all of these systems, with the exception of, well, not even with the exception of, uh, including the Virginia, uh, quote unquote, the Virginia like style of doing things in terms of like harbor management. You want to quickly lay out what that what that is, just so we yes. have a yeah. So the Virginia style that uh, is kind of covered in the podcast episode is basically most companies control their own chassis and control like their individual terminals that they rent out, and so they run their own terminals, right? So like. You know, Shakita, the banana people, right, will be like, hey, we have our terminal that we run, that we staff with our people, and that we have our chassis in, right? The That is the standard way of doing shipping throughout the U.S., and basically you rent the terminal from the harbor. Uh, what Virginia does uh, is that they have a centralized system across the state, wherein which the state owns everything. They own all of the chassis, they own, or a state corporation, owns all of the chassis, owns all of the terminals, and they basically let people use the terminals, and all of the labor is underneath the, like, central Port of Virginia Corporation. Um, And so it creates this situation where Virginia can better respond to chassis shortages because they can actually control them because the hoarding isn't taking place. And the thing that this that this like podcast and the, the supply chain situation really gets at that kind of echoes conversations that like Rob and I have been having in private recently is the idea that like profit maximization separate from the way industries function and like a school of business that focuses on profit maximization and like business school styles of management as opposed to like how a, a given industry can and should function in accordance to like errors that like a business major would never be even be able to predict are like wildly different and are like happening in the world in like the worst case scenarios right now with with the supply chain and the ways in which corporations are like you know there's this idea that competition inherently means that we're going to get like better shit because people are competing with one another until suddenly there's a limited resource and the moment those chassis become limited, corporations are com- are competing not just for maximum profits, but for control over this given technology or not technology, but this like given resource. Suddenly, it doesn't matter if the, the chassis are profitable for you. It could be profitable to rent those out, but it doesn't fucking matter because it will also mean that your competitors will also be doing well. And that is the last thing that you want. Well, and, and also just the sense of the minute the idea of the shortage exists, you see these hoarding behaviors that... Uh, nobody will let 
their chassis roll out of the port just on the off chance that they will need them. And so the sense of like, you know, the efficiencies that um, plentiful supply creates when people are just pretty like economists, I think, love to manage the world to imagine the world as like seamless flow of goods and services. Like, you know, if you, if you go take a like a intro economics class, I think one of the things that gets that makes economics kind of hard to parse uh, if you're first getting into it is like economics makes a lot of weird assumptions about how like demand is fulfilled, how supply is created, how like how things get to their market, uh, how things get to a consumer of a good is really abstracted out of these models for, for a lot of reasons, because like it makes the model much easier to work with. But where you see like a lot of this crisis is like, no, these things are not abstract. Like all of these things depend on, like physical infrastructure and like people like doing these things. And the minute there's this notion of like, Hey, there might just not be enough like truck chassis to move these containers around. Suddenly all those efficiencies kind of dry up because you have an incentive of like, I don't need the chassis tomorrow, but I'm like, but I might need them the day after. Therefore I can't let you have them. Because if they don't come back to me, if you don't bring them back or somebody else doesn't have them lying around, then I'm screwed. All this stuff kind of falls apart. And so, yeah, you saw this like part of this was on the West Coast, everything's collapsing because, yeah, like there's this this hoarding behavior. Um, and on, you know, in the in these other models, uh, you're still dealing with these shortages. But the other thing you're dealing with is the fact that. So many shipping companies completely abandoned mid-sized ports and mid-sized ships and just went for like the biggest, like bigger than aircraft carrier size cargo vessels um, to, to make this work with the side effect of there's just not many places those can go. And so you also, you also have this idea of like global shipping almost as like, if it was a circulatory system, it just stopped using capillaries Right. And just became it's all about like mainline arteries. And it's like we'll just we'll just tap in directly off of those, uh, which works until it doesn't. Like the 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 key thing is like the, the phrase they use in the podcast is Panamax ships or post Panamax ships, which is to say that ships that cannot fit through the Panama Canal, which seems bad, too fucking big. Seems like maybe that should have been your limit is like the big as we saw with the Ever Given, right? When the, when Big Boat got stuck, <laughs> like part of it was was like maybe this wasn't a good idea at all. But here we here we are. And and that is like the other thing about hyper efficiency and like the 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 myth of hyper efficiency and like the the trap of hyper efficiency that like the the current like state of supply chain so like clearly highlight highlights is that like. The second you start leaning into hyper efficiency, you have zero fucking fallbacks. And I yes. honestly, like, it's going to be a weird comparison to make, but I think a lot about efficiency through the lens of uh, BattleTech, uh, mm-hmm. the 2018 tactics game. If you lean into hyper efficiency on your mechs, you are going to fucking lose because <laughs> hyper efficiency is not viable you can be hyper efficient until you miss three shots and overheat you can be hyper efficient until you walk into the wrong spot and your terrain gets thrown off and suddenly you can't land a single fucking shot because you've made a hyper efficient sniper and someone gets up in their face and you die however the trick that battletech and like tactics games like it and like the trick that hyper efficiency plays on you 
is it gives you the illusion of perfect information. The numbers game gives you the illusion, right? The fact that you can see all the stats gives you this illusion of like, I know everything. I have all the possible information. It's, it's like the business school style of economics, right? If you can see all the numbers, then you're fine. Like you can make the thing that works with the numbers that you have. And don't it completely- think too much about how those numbers change. You don't need to exactly. know. <laughs> and you divest it from the material reality. And then suddenly, the second the material reality shifts, Everything fucking breaks. The there's the um God, is it a Talleyrand quote? Uh, you know, war is too important to be left to generals. Um, and I think the similar thing, like the the economy is too important to be left to uh like managers and economists, right? That like to to a to a degree, uh, because there's this tendency to engage with this on the theoretical, and because there's these biases toward um Individually, we will we will all pursue our own maximized efficiency. Collectively, we will have, without anyone having chosen this or necessarily even wanted it, we will have created a really fragile system that can't mm-hmm. absorb any like. And we've all experienced that, right? We've all worked in places where to like do more with do more with less is you being handed like we are trying to find efficiencies here, and we are just going to cut away at like staff. Uh, and the rest of you will Are do you the describing same waypoint. Um, I am describing waypoint, but I'm also describing fast food, <laughs> dude. I'm I'm describing mm-hmm. my time in fast food, grocery stores, yeah. like yeah, um, like like this is every job. Every time someone is, every time like you've seen a reduction in like the number of people at a shift, but the same amount of work has to get done. The idea is somebody looked at that and is like, well, we don't need all these people most of the time, so we won't have them. But this is also why you end up with like, oh, like, you know, why is that one? <laughs> why is that one like uh, Wendy's got a shitty reputation for just like taking forever to deliver your food and it's cold as hell? Uh, it's because the efficiency falls off. Like the minute like customers show up for lunch, mm-hmm. um, they can't produce the food fast enough. They can't do it anymore. And that like we've all seen iterations of this um but it's very easy to fall into where you're optimizing for perfect conditions or average conditions and how do you find profit at that point we're already a pretty lean organization you just start cutting into any sort of like resiliency or like reserve i mean i think we saw that play out actually like in a previous waypoint podcast where we had folks writing in about you know like the you know, folks who are working, this is the byproduct of the, like, should you be allowed to give, you know, the person in the fast food line to fill up your, uh, what was it? What was the water thing? The Oh, uh, well, the, the camelback question. The camelback. And well, the we, camelback question led us to a, like a really fascinating discussion over like how modern fast food establishments monitor, you know, your progress, your efficiency, mm-hmm. what you are looking at, how you're, how long you're looking at it, which then led us to discussions of like, all of us having different experiences like mine of like how many times I touch the the register at a at an AMC theater, um, not because I made a mistake, but because I I just t- I spent too much time touching the touching the finger things. And I think all of those are like byproducts of this this notion of hyper efficiency. Um, so you can have the least amount of people doing the maximum amount of things um, because the margins are so slim because they're stacking those margins in order uh, to take advantage of the hyper efficiency. But that's a very um, that doesn't like 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 Ren said does not leave a lot of slack for other ways of making it work. 
seven months ago, uh, I was working at a Starbucks. Um, I believe seven months ago. No, I've been at Waypoint for almost a month. So um, almost eight months ago, I was working at a Starbucks and I vividly remember days where we just been slammed our entire shift. And then like the shift supervisor being like, we have to get drive times down. We literally like, see the number just turned red. Uh, so there's like a, there's like a, a display that shows, you know, your drive times for the store that is like perpetually counting up the amount of time that people are at the window and the amount of time that people are at like at, at each respective window. So how many time, how much time has been spent on their order and how much time you've been talking to them at the window. The other thing about like somewhere like Starbucks, for example, is that it is one person's job to make customer connections, which is to constantly be talking to the person at the window, whether it be through the like voice thing or through, yeah, you're making a weird... What does that mean? It means that you're supposed to be like talking to people constantly and you will get in trouble if you are not talking. If you are the person on window, if you are not chatting with the person who is waiting for their shit... Oh, like, how you doing? Like, is there, like, just, like, doing, like, like bullshit chit-chat, uh, which is, in theory, also extending, depending on your, your version of chit-chat, extending this window mm-hmm. that you are being monitored for. So mm-hmm. you must both chit-chat, mm-hmm. but not too much chit-chat, because then that will make chit-chat, drive time but also, exactly, and, like... Efficient the, chit-chatting, please. They will Jesus. get, like, I, I very vividly remember my shift supervisor, like, pointing at the drive time thing. Like, the, the image of the drive time is fucking scarred into my mind. Paint the picture. As, like, where's where's the clock? Where's the, where's the indicator? Uh, the indicator, so, like, if I am working... Um, if I'm working cold bar and DTO, uh, which you will often do both at the same time, uh, it is, I am basically switching between tapping and orders and like making cold drinks behind me, whether that be your frappuccino. If you order a frappuccino, let me tell you, you go fuck yourself. Those motherfuckers are so annoying to goddamn make. I hate those. I hate those fucks. They're just irritating to make. They take forever. Um, like one of the most annoying things to make at a Starbucks, but um, tapping in DTO and above you directly at like eye level is a fucking black screen that shows how many cars are waiting in line. Uh, and there's either red or they're green to say how long they've been waiting to either get to the window or get to this thing. And then there's two numbers that are constantly counting up above you. So every time you look up from like looking down at your like screen to tap in orders, the second you look up, there is a drive time window directly in front of you letting you know. And then if you have a shift supervisor, they get in trouble if drive times go over a minute. So if they they get in trouble if drive times go over a minute, which means that you basically get like pressured extremely heavily to get drive times under a minute, no matter what, uh, or like you will have hours cut uh, or like people will end up having hours cut. Um, and so basically you're like doing seven tasks at once and like in the way that like everyone who works does yep. everyone, everyone who works at this point because of the myth of perfect efficiency is yeah. being asked to do like seven people's jobs simultaneously, even if not in volume of work in variety of work, this is you are being asked to do like seven people's worth of stuff without as much training. This is so weird because the thing is apparently I live, I work during like the salad days of working in fast food. Because the thing that like kind of I marveled at when I worked at McDonald's was where the efficiency all was, was in like food prep. Like everything had exact timings, but like they weren't in that. Like when I was working there, 
I don't remember shifts being light in like, like, yes, like there were lighter shifts for like, if it was just not going to be busy during that part of the shift, like, but it was the, the efficiency was mostly in terms of like the timers were on everything, everything took like down to the second, like how long it would take to like, uh, like grill a patty on the, on the griddle or uh, like, you know, have fries in the fryer. The efficiency was all there. Are those but, all measured into like every time you were like flipping a patty, there was a timer going off, or was that just internalized that you knew like eventually you knew that and that was part of your training? No, there's the, like there were. I feel like, did like you have there to were hit a, a ding. Every- like I'm putting a patty on. Like I need to hit a timer so that I I I rob and reminded exactly what that time is to flip. Um, I can't. God, I cannot remember because the thing is, so the fryer, of course, did have timers. Uh, because okay. that is a like. You put the fry. You, you see it today. You, you they they yeah. lower the baskets in. They tap a timer above. They okay. go do something else. Right. The thing that I can't remember how they did this was um, when you quickly throw down a bunch of patties to like serve up the lunch rush. Um. By the time you had arrayed a full run of the uh, of like the patties that go in like your standard burger, the quarter pound patties are a different thing. Um, but like the, the standard burger patties, but the time you filled the griddle, I want to say if you like, I can't remember, I have no, I have no picture of the timer. I just remember that once you filled, like once you filled it, you go it back to the to first flip. one and you start flipping them. Fuck. And yeah. so yeah, no, like, is, yeah. yeah, yeah, you clear it off and the station will be ready for the next run of wow. patties. And it was like, it was wildly efficient. But the thing is, that's about all the efficiency you could probably squeeze out of it before you start creating risks. Because yeah. if you say, okay, well that the person like doing the patties, what if we get rid of them and the fryer person, the person, the till can do the fry. The minute you start doing that, that efficiency is going to vanish. And it sounds like it has, because like when I hear about like the Taco Bell, like timer, like chiming at people or like what you're describing run, I'm like, that would have been alien at like the McDonald's I was working at in the nineties because like the system just worked. You, you didn't need to think about it that hard. They do both now. That's the thing, regardless of volume. So like basically um, the way like at Starbucks works, right? You have two people on bar, you have main bar and support bar. Um, and what happens is you're supposed to basically stagger the way you're making drinks. So the way it works is if you have three drinks that come in at the same time, you start one, get it to the point where you're pulling your shots because pulling shots takes time. Then you start drink two while one is pulling shots. You do all the prep for drink two, you finish drink one, and then you start pulling shots for drink two. And you like basically package drink one hand to the register and you go over to drink two finish its prep, start pulling shots, start three. And it just repeats ad infinitum with like, you are always making two drinks at one time. And if you are not, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, Alternatively, you also get in trouble if you make more than two drinks at one time. But the problem is, the problem is that the one minute drive time happens regardless of order size. So if someone shows up and does a like eight drink, mostly Frappuccino order. Buying for the office. Buying for the office. Yep. That is going to be the fact that Frappuccinos, you only have so many blenders and you only have so much like so many people working cold bar. 
it's it's a nightmare. And so like during rushes, you have drive times that spike up and then you get trouble for going over one minute drive times. Oh See, Patrick Cato, this is mm. why when I didn't bring some of the treats that I brought for myself for breakfast during our E3 stream, <laughs> that was moral. That was moral. Yeah. That was that, that was being workers. Yeah. That was praxis. Yeah. That was me taking care. <laughs> Rob of, not doing things for his coworkers. Praxis. <laughs> uh but yeah, but like, so we see some of this too, like, you know, I mean, there's a reason that like longshoremen everywhere are just like uh, fed up because, you know, you have these huge like waves of unloading tasks hitting uh, all at once. And then like similar sorts of stories of like lack of redundancy, la- lack of resiliency, and a lot of it being put on uh, like the shoulders of workers to sort of try and, uh, you know, the easiest thing to do is throw bodies into the breach. Right. Uh, if if you're if you've created a shitty system and that's how it often works. Um, Planet Money's done a bunch of episodes in this vein. Like there was another interesting one. Uh, Touch my little hometown heart of um, they're trying to increasingly route international shipping down the St. Lawrence Seaway into the Great Lakes. Um, to like deliver stuff to ports on the Great Lakes so you can just like get it out to markets in the Midwest, which hasn't been done. Hmm. Those ports are so old, they don't even support containers. What they support are those old bulk freighters. So if you think, think of an old timey movie where like the freighter has like those little like cellar doors in the middle of it and they're just like lowering winches down and like pulling out bags of goods or like shoveling out like iron ore. That's what the ports in the Great Lakes still support is the type of like freight we had up to like the 1950s, uh, where it's just like you got a freighter, you just put a bunch of shit in it and you sail it around the world and then like big sweaty people come and unload it somewhere on the other side of the world, toss it on a wharf and like someone's come claim this. Right. Uh, that's what they've got in the Great Lakes um, as they're trying to relieve this. I would also say um, we didn't talk about it too much, but the American Prospect did for their February issue an entire article about like the supply chain crunch, mm-hmm. looking at like a ton of different steps uh, in it. They did a survey article of like how this all happened. It's all really good stuff and really interesting at looking at like the various points at which the system is melting down. Um, and yeah, it's just it's it's really interesting stuff because I, I it, it feels like. Having seen these issues crop up, I suspect these are going to become increasing parts of just our everyday experience of the world uh, from here on. Like, it, it, like I don't think we're going to be, I think just-in-time shipping is never going to be something that will be as seamless as it was, like, in 2018, 2019. I feel like this is this probably is going to be something that will wax and wane uh, from here. And this is all to say, we're very sorry, but our in-office equipment still isn't ready for the next time we do streams because of the supply chain. Well, two pieces, right? We still we're like still we, missing. Yeah, actually, literally, we submitted we like a multi, you know, tens of thousands of dollars uh, uh, equipment request back in September, September of last year. I think it was September. Earlier, October? It, was, it was in the summer. Still, was in the summer. I, I sent that email week. quick. I was like, so we what's need still, new equipment. What's still missing? Uh, a sound mixer and a capture card. 
two wow. very critical parts of uh, streaming apparatus. Someone say, <laughs> say the two critical parts of a yeah. streaming apparatus. Wow, that's nerve-wracking because we're doing something in March. Yeah, don't we're working on it. It's fine. <laughs> Are we? Oh, wait, that would that's be, right. That, Surprise, that would I guess. Be, Did you accidentally? That would be really... <laughs> Irritating if we were doing something in March and we yeah. didn't. Yeah. yeah, if we were planning, if we were planning on something in March. If one we'd were want to capture footage. Yeah. And before people say, Who like, what? Say? I got a Elgato the other week. We're not talking about that kind of capture card. No. Just before you send an email in. Don't worry about it. Talk, we're talking about industrial capture cards. <laughs> we've, we've attempted to find them. They don't you know, exist. You know that thing where it's like trying to like build the correct capacity, like more capacity than maybe you think you need? We learned at the last live stream we did that like going down to the bone in terms of prep time and hardware and like we'll make it work what we were doing was we were throwing Kato in the breach and being like Kato can make this work and now the now admittedly is this all our fault no because Kato also says i can make this work because Kato I've been we have the different before. levels, I guess, of work sometimes, and that was a miscommunication. I could it make it true. happen. It, it might not true. look good. That's but, the thing. Like, I've been thrown in the breach before. Don't throw people in the breach. Just <laughs> let the person who's being thrown in the breach plan. But as part of our, but as part of our learnings for that, it was like we we were like, so how do we solve most of these issues? And it turns out. Don't create a ramshackle like created on the night before, like flow of how you are playing the game, feeding the game to a production setup, mm-hmm. producing mm-hmm. the stream, and then transmit. Don't just like put that together, but like don't, based on what do we have lying around? Don't fall do for the myth of computers saying like it's as easy as plug prep. and play. Plug and play is not real. It's all a lie. Nothing ever works oh. the way you think it's gonna work. <laughs> Give your, bring your producers off. This is the if you're listening to the show and you're thinking like I should get a producer for something I'm about to do. Bring your producer on. Two weeks before the fucking thing, so they can help you <laughs> plan least, what least. the well, fucking thing is. <laughs> so they can well. help you decide what the thing is and how it works and what would be best for the thing to function. This is just a little piece of advice from Orinata. I would I would say sometimes the producer is in at that stage, and the producer maybe doesn't have act doesn't really their, their palantir gaze isn't like functioning correctly to, to make those judgments that's that's the other thing i would say is like mistakes were made on our side mistakes were made on the production side mistakes were made on the vice side but the idea was we were going to build a death star to sorry in this analogy the death star is good we were going to build a death star <laughs> You fix this problem. <laughs> Sorry, we got the episode title. We have the episode title. Congrats, everyone. In this analogy, the Death Star is good. Welcome to Waypoint episode 464. This week we have. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, it sounds like our we're still missing a couple kyber crystals on that old super oh laser. So yeah. uh, fingers crossed. If we if we need to they use that kyber setup. crystals in the super laser. Apparently, this is this, the, right. this is the setup in Rogue One. Wait, but like. But don't those have feelings? Yeah, it's fucked up. Don't it's fucked don't up what a fucking feelings? empire will do to things with feelings. Hey, wait, hey, wait, <laughs> hey, hey, wait a second. Whoa, 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 wait, I'm putting a flag on the plate. Don't those rocks have feelings? 
Well, there's spirits. Hey. There's, there's spirits in there or something. Sometimes? You know, I, look, I think the uh, the Empire might have also made some judgments about like some of the aspects of Star Wars canon that maybe just can be ignored. Uh, so, like, you know, I, I like I think the Death <laughs> also, Star is evil for a whole lot of reasons. Also, let's be I clear: the, fate of- the Death Star started being built while while the Empire was still the fucking Republic. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That that it was, was a Geonosian. Yes. Wasn't um, it a Geonosian fucking uh, battle? Geonosian plant? design. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's it's very silly. <laughs> um. All right, Patrick. Um. We're running a little short on time, <laughs> so uh, if we can just like briefly touch on your experience of the Steam Deck uh, so far. Uh, maybe you could just sort of let us know what it is, how it's been treating you. Uh, <laughs> Patrick just signed off. He just closed. He left the Discord call. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my internet hiccup. Yeah, the my room on the ground. <laughs> Sorry, you know it's the Comcast way. You know, I oh, what? Hmm? God damn! <laughs> oh, Ren is on the ground. <laughs> All right. Psychically defeated. Yeah, Ron, Patrick, he's out here just waves of psychic damage being dealt to everyone. Zoom, zoom. <laughs> Is the Steam Deck the Steam Drack, as some reviews wow. have, have wow. it? That was wow. good. Nice. Good work, Rob. Good yeah. Thing. Uh, does someone really use Drek? No, That's but, a I, poll. but they okay. should have. Right. Like <laughs> if I if I'd been putting a header on the Verge uh-huh. review, I would. Well, I guess the writer would have like hedged too much to let me get away with that. But it's a good it's a good head, and they, you would have made the argument for the cleverness of the Drek being. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh. and like also you like half this review is how much like this thing sucks. So what are we really doing here? Um, uh, but it, it, so uh, yeah, the Steam Deck, which is a. Uh, Announced last year, Steam sort of like portable PC thing. I think a lot of the details of that have kind of like felt kind of fuzzy and unclear. I think what's interesting about the Steam Deck, which I've played with for about a month now, is uh, like what is the what is the point of a user interface, right? What is the philosophy of a user interface? Like, does it exist? Like, what is what is it there to serve, right? Like, uh, you know, you look at something like iOS and I think all the limitations that exist on a on an iPhone or an iPad, uh, lots of reasons to criticize it. But it also means that like my mom downloads software and she like is scared to put her credit card number into an internet browser. And so like that interface allows her to to use a computer in a way that is like really interesting and one that otherwise she wouldn't. Um, and I think like a similar anal- you know, similar sort of uh, approach with something like the Switch, but also Xbox, PlayStation. Um, like console style uh, devices, even ones that extended to handheld formats like the Switch or, or Game Boy are, uh, they exist as a like private, pretty little playground for you to connect with the shiny software that is made by these companies. And uh, the Switch, uh, the Steam Deck has a version of that in their Steam OS, like their, their kind of like handheld spinoff, which is an extension of the, big picture mode, which allows you to use steam on a TV um, in which you can load up the steam deck. And here you have a, a portable PC with a very loud and extremely warm fan um, that will go off. Even when you are just downloading something onto the machine um, that will allow you to experience the steam deck as though it is just, Hey, you have logged into a storefront 
and you can download the games that you already own or you can buy some new ones. And sure, is this a portable PC? But you don't have to think of it that way. It is just this this big, hand, big, surprisingly big, surprisingly light handheld that you can download games onto and they just work. Um, I think what's fascinating about the Steam Deck is that if you click over onto the left and like click on the power section, it has a, a very accessible drop down where it's like it's not hidden, but it's not there for the average person that says, hey, go to desktop mode, at which point like the fancy UI disappears and you are brought into a you know version of Linux that Valve has been developing for like a decade now um, that is just a Windows-esque desktop that you can do whatever the fuck you want to it. Do you want to download Chrome and Spotify and like even add those as non-Steam games to the Steam Deck? Sure. Do you want to like start messing with a command line and installing other kinds of software and potentially brick the device like sure well they'll let you um and that i think that's what i find was fascinating about the device is the way it plays with ui the way it plays with our conceptions of what am i supposed to be allowed to do with this device and i think that extends even to the version of the the ui that is you just playing a game like so you can be playing like a god of war or resident evil or whatever and you can just click a button on the side and pull up. What are all the cores in this GPU doing? Can I just see them? Like, just show me them. And that'll just appear on the side. And it's like, you know what? I would like them to do a little more um, so you could juice the frame rate. Um, or I'd like them to do a little less, which means the frame rate is going to be worse, but I might get better battery life. Um, and so all that said is like, I think it's a very flawed version one of a device, but one in which if you if you like me are looking for you're exhausted at the switch, just running things like shit and would like your games to just run a little bit better in a portable format. Uh, the switch deck is like a, or the steam deck is like a, re- is a revelation. The switch deck is actually an appropriate uh, <laughs> name to fumble into, but it is kind of revelation. Like the, the ability to just download anything off my steam library and start playing it. The fact that like I m- managed to play stalker, uh, Shadow of Chernobyl pretty well using a custom controller layout that some I think Pizza Master is the one who made it. Um, was it originally made for lost, the Steam controller or? It was yeah. right so like the Steam Deck be- the benefits from the legacy of the now abandoned Steam controller which introduced custom player driven community uh, collaborated controller formats so what will happen when you load a game like Stalker is it'll be like yeah there are no official controls for this, buddy. Um, but the one that the community seems to like are Pizza Masters. And so we're just going to apply that. And that one is someone that used the Steam controller to turn Stalker into a game that you can successfully, if slightly awkwardly, control with a dual analog stick approach. And I didn't fully like what Pizza Masters control scheme had done. And it took all of two seconds to like load it up, edit it, like change how it used like the right mouse pad thingy on the on the Steam Deck and and make that my own. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty impressive piece of hardware. It, it was one where every day I was getting extensive patch notes from Valve as they were turning on like mission critical features for how it worked. I, I think this is a device coming in extremely hot. Like I said, both in terms of the fan that is always running and always hot. Um, and also just a device that is kind of sliding in to home base at like the last possible second as Valve just like kind of gets it out the door and is going to figure the rest out later. But uh, 
I, it's it's pretty impressive. Like the, the things that you can do with it, it runs it runs basically everything. Um, and even the stuff that it shouldn't run, it'll let you try and run it, and and it's kind of up to you to figure out whether you want to deal with it with it or not. I'm gonna put a marker here just in case. Hey, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, what's up with the emulation situation? Oh, I can tell you about that. Yeah. You don't have to. I just think, I don't. I don't know. I don't no, know. I have weird guidelines I'm, around that, but we increasingly ignore them because uh, who cares? Uh, yeah, I don't I know what say, our guidelines like, are. The legal days, position so. of at, like talking about emulation <laughs> is like pointing people towards where they can do it, not discussing <laughs> that it, it exists. Also, okay. we're on a podcast. Also, the, the ever reviewed the legal team is not listening so. to this. Podcast. The legal team is not. Oh, listening. PC, everybody listening. PC Gamer just straight up published an article. Yeah, that was, I, I linked it. That's hey, the like if you exit to desktop on Steam Deck, like. The, the app store there just has like the major emulators yep. there to you just click a one. Oh my god, yep. what? I just so yeah, looked in the Discord. I it's didn't right realize there. that when <laughs> I got my Steam Deck. And one of the first things I learned by accident was uh, I had connected it to uh, a USB C hub that my wife uses uh, upstairs in our house on our standing desk because she has a monitor connected to her MacBook. Um, and I connected it to, to that. Um, and all of a sudden it just started outputting to her display. And she also has a mouse connected to that hub. And I just saw the mouse cursor appear and I was like, oh, right. Like I can just connect a keyboard and mouse to this thing and just start doing whatever I want with it. And both the, the normal UI adapts to that, but also then you kick out to the desktop. And at least as the time when I was playing it during the reviewer period, like the you can't really interface with the Linux desktop just all on the machine itself. You need to connect a keyboard and mouse in order to do it. I think they're, they've said they're going to change that so you can do everything through the deck itself. But that was, this is one of the first things that it was like, all right, how do I fucking install like an emulator on this? Now, Steam has uh, RetroArch, which is uh, uh, an emulator, uh, like, nah, like houses, a, it's, it's a way of like housing a bunch of emulators at once in, in a friendlier UI as opposed to launching separate emulators. You know, even that does not let you, like it doesn't come with like a BIOS that like you'll need to get for, you know, like a like a PlayStation or something like that. Um, doesn't come with ROMs. Like you gotta go figure that shit out on your own. Um, that proved to be like a huge pain in the ass to try and figure out because uh, it was just not built for the Steam Deck where, and it was like, do these things work in Linux or not uh, was like an open question. So it was like working with like Jeff Grubb over at VentureBeat. Like I wanted to answer the, I wanted to answer the question. I think I was going to be the one to do it, but I think I proposed this to Kato at some point when he was reviewing the most recent Pokemon. I was like, I wonder if the steam deck will be able to emulate the switch and run the new Pokemon game better than the switch, <laughs> the switch. currently runs it. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. And I didn't, I didn't go far, uh, far enough down that path to figure it out because it, <clears throat> like the getting something like Dolphin uh, to run on uh, the the Steam Deck was complicated <laughs> until PC Gamer just pointed out they were all just sitting in this other storefront, uh, which I did not realize. But by all accounts, it appears to be like, yes, like the ultimate emulation machine. Like it's going to run everything really great. You know, it runs every, you know, things up to like the PS2, Xbox era. You know, you can run them at 60 frames a second. Um, and uh, from that perspective, it seems fucking dope i didn't get a chance to mess with it too much because i didn't realize this one click solution that i guess existed the whole time that said makes sense that i mean valve had said like hey there's like this thing called discovery it's like an app store you can mess with but they also didn't point their their (laughs) their examples were always 
Chrome and Spotify would be things that you could install here. Um, not necessarily not PCX2. PCX2, which is is in there because my ultimately what I wanted to do was to see if I could play Kingsfield yeah. Four. I was about uh, to say yeah. Kingsfield Four on this Steam that was, Deck. That was that was my intention, and I uh, uh, I, t- I couldn't do it through Route One, and now I'm, I'm curious to see if I could do it through hey. uh, Route uh, Two. I yeah. haven't been keeping up with the Steam Deck at all. Yeah. Does it have a docking thing? No. Okay. That's been um that's been de- like at least the first party one has been delayed until sometime in the spring. Oh, but it, so but it will is the idea. Well, and it, and it can right now. So I bought a for the purposes of the review, I bought a uh, USB C to HDMI uh cable so that it, I could connect it to my TV. The problem is if you're just doing that straight cable to the TV, it does not charge. Um, and so you can be connecting it to the TV, but it's not charging at the same time that you're connecting right. the TV unless you buy a USB-C hub and then you can, you know, connect power the hub. that to a, a power yeah. and then you can also be outputting that. So you can do it, but it's not a seamless um, sort of experience. Um, the, the problem is uh, I don't. I think the thing is this this really is primarily a handheld right. device. I mean, I think people can use it for for like docking and playing games on a TV. But for example, one of the most uh, impressive games on the Steam Deck is Resident Evil Village, which runs at sixty frames a second. I mean, it's it's fucking incredible. Like it looks so damn good running natively on the hardware. Um, and I guess Death Stranding is also the same way. That game also runs at like sixty uh, frames a second and and looks looks really gorgeous. Damn. Um, but the resolution is, I think, twelve eighty by eight hundred, and so then you connect that to a big HDTV, right. twelve eighty by eight hundred on like a tiny handheld looks pretty good. And but when you put that on to <laughs> uh, a TV, it doesn't it doesn't look as good. And I'm I'm sure you can probably mess with the resolution so that it's I, I don't know for sure. I, I I'd assume maybe you could change the resolution so it's outputting at something different. I don't I don't know, but. It's messy. Um, I think it'll be fine for for certain types of games, um, but it was not ideal for like the higher end games. The only reason they run as well as they do on the Steam Deck is because they are pretty much being optimized to be viewed on a smaller right. display. Um, you know, like but when leading up to release, I wanted to like my original hope was like I'll get early access to Elden Ring and then I'll just I'll just only play it on the Steam Deck and like that'll be an interesting angle to write about the deck or Elden Ring or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, well, when I got it, um, like sometimes when you get games early, you have to, you have to opt into something called a beta branch, which is like you get a code to download a game and then you get another code that lets you pull a specific build of the game to play. And for whatever reason, the steam deck would not, uh, let me pull the beta version of Elden Ring. And so I can only do that on my PC. Um, and you can stream your PC to the steam deck, Hmm. but, I've had all sorts of problems with that. I like I managed to get Elden Ring to stream okay, so I could get like sixty frames a second Elden Ring from my powerful PC. But then the resolution is all fucked up, and I can't read the text. So it's kind of it's kind of messy. But um, like along the way, uh, I was finally able to download uh, Elden Ring, and it runs it runs surprisingly well. And like Valve has since said that they've so like the way it runs PC games is. Like, this is Linux-based, right? It's not Windows-based. These games are not being ported to the Steam Deck. Um, there is a software layer 
called Proton, which if, if you've ever tried to run Windows uh, software on a Mac with a software called Wine, it basically is just like, how do I, how do I, how do I trick this Windows program into running on the Mac? And that's what is happening here is they're tricking Windows applications to run on Linux. And um, they, some games work better than others. Um, and I saw one of the engineers on the Steam Deck tweeting out that they've managed to like use Proton to get the game to run like faster than like its native code. And so like they have, this, they have Elden Ring running better than it should on the Steam Deck because of like tricks they're running through the Proton, like like Linux layer oh is God. fucking wild, Damn. Uh, weird, weird shit. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I've, tr- I've tried to play Elden Ring. The, the actual controlling of it on, on when you actually get it going is, is, is okay. Like the, the, the Steam Deck is is huge. It's laborious. It's it feels twice as big as a Switch, even though that's not actually the case. Um, but I, I have not found that it's it's been all that comfortable to hold. I, I, that was like the first thing coming out of those initial impressions when people went up to to Valve to play. It was like, no, 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 it's great. It's very ergonomic. Like, oh, man, I don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> it's it's okay. Like, I've I've learned to to deal with it. Um, but I, I don't know that I would argue that it's some sort of ergonomics miracle. I mean, when you decide to put Two analog sticks, two mouse pads, four face buttons, four top buttons, uh, a D-pad, four back buttons onto this thing, uh, in addition to a gyro and a touchscreen. Like, things are going to get fucking messy. Um, and it's... It, it, it works, but I don't... Powerful. Flexible. Well, it's, but it's what, well, it's what it allows you to play... Like, if it didn't have that, you wouldn't be able to play Stalker, right? And so, I think essentially what the Steam Deck argues is, well... It's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but you'll get to do a lot more with it. And that's the like the trade off they're making is like, yes, rather than restrict ourselves to a certain set of games, we're going to allow all of the games and you're just going to have to try and find a way to hold it in the most comfortable position. Yeah, you you said uh, that possible. it was uh, light, you said? Yes, I think it's surprisingly light um, relative to but part of that's like relative to how uh, how it looks. Um, I was, I, I Patrick, I'm going to I'm going to paint I'm going to paint you a picture. Yeah, I mean, you can tell me how comfortable it would be to use the Steam Deck in the particular position that I'm describing. Yeah. Okay, let me set the scene for you. You walk into a New York City apartment. Yes. Okay, you walk past a pair of shoes by the door. Yes. You walk into a room. There are too many fucking bikes in the goddamn room. Uh, <sighs> way oh, so too many bikes. this out now, huh? <laughs> 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 for the size of your apartment and then you walk into the room and you see a young woman she's 21 almost 22 years old she's sitting on her couch her knees are pulled up near her chest she is pressing the steam deck she's like basically propping it up against her knees as she sits on the couch playing the video game Elden Ring is she comfortable I think so I I, I have not found this hypothetical <laughs> no. person I think <laughs> <laughs> That's not a comfortable position for anyone to be in. What? Wait, like, some people hold like on. To sit like knees up. Like, like. I'm a little ca- caught. Out. I can't Kato. do it in this chair. You almost just fell off of your chair. As someone trying to contort. So MK also has a bit of the hyper flexibility thing, mm. and so you would be astonished at the positions and like accordion like folds people find comfortable. Listen, if I sit the, the way I've been sitting this fucking podcast, welcome to my pain corner. Uh, I have felt my hips 
fully out of socket for like oh, no. 20 minutes and was like, that's so uncomfortable. So I did have to totally rearrange myself. So like my muscles were engaged enough to like hold me, hold all of me together. So I do like to sit in a little ball. I like to do a little hunch. I like to perch like a little gremlin because it keeps all my bits together. Uh, and so uh, I, I too, despite not having the same issues lo- like the hunch and yeah. uh, when I, when I am sitting and I, I, I haven't found it to be, I had people ask that before where like the, even the switch is too heavy for some for some folks. Um, it's certainly not lighter than a yeah. switch. I don't I don't know that it's um, all that much heavier. Um, the problem I would frequently have is like I just the way the position it wants your hands to be in to have full access to like the equivalence of like L1, R1, you know, uh, L2, R2, like don't feel good in my hands. Like it feels better to flip my hands slightly so that I can kind of access one or the other, like L1, L2, like L1 and R1, L2 and R2. Like I'm trying to. Yeah, show me, show me what you mean by this. Like, the camera's not. It, fre- it frequently, it frequently feels. I can't. It's gonna. I can't. I can't Wait, do you use your middle finger to press R2? So, like, this is how it wants you to hold it, and it's like difficult to convey like how Ugh. awkward it feels. But it like it looks the device like bulge, bulges out. In a certain way, and that's why they have like these kind of. I suppose you're going to say the Wii U was awkward too. It's, yeah, like it's very much like a game, like a Wii U gamepad. Oh, I'm going to pick up. Okay, counterpoint, counterpoint. I'm an insane person. I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. People, I do love the Wii. U I think the Wii U so. gamepad is comfortable to hold. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I have I, agree. I have little hands like a baby, and so like most controllers that aren't too big for that aren't like literally too big, I can find some way to like hook my little fingies around mm-hmm. because they're so tiny that it's like it's it's fine. I just have to like, you know. Look, if this is the final triumph of the Wii U, uh, then I'm here for it. If the <laughs> and if you know what the like, you could emulate a Wii U game on this. Probably could. Oh my god! You could. You could. Some, if someone hacks the multi-screen function in Zombie U, are you fucking telling me that I could? I could get a. I could get Xenoblade Chronicles Two on the go. Sorry, Xenoblade Chronicles X on the go. Xenoblade Chronicles X on the go. Xenoblade Chronicles X on the go. <laughs> Are you don't kidding? let it don't let a filter stop you? From <laughs> Are you kidding? Saying that <laughs> move the pop filter out of the way. God damn. <laughs> Xenoblade Chronicles X on the go. For me, as a treat, as a little treat, the only as way to get that's the only way to get through a huge RPG is to be able to play it at literally any moment in your entire fucking life. Well, but that's <laughs> great. But okay, but uh, counterpoint. Um, I really don't think this is the kind of thing you're throwing in your fucking bag. It's enormous. Like it, it, it Have is. You seen my bag? <laughs> Have you seen my I'm bag? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you could. Yeah, and I'm sure people. But like, it requires a large bag. Like, it is not. Right. It is not like. The switch, even in a case, like is like a pretty reasonable size. Like, the, I mean, the switch, like, like this case is yeah. just fu- it's just fucking. Oh my huge. god, it's massive. And the and is the device it, is enormous. That's like a do- that's well. an old timey doctor's bag for people like listening to this. Like it, it's it's like the doctors the made house calls. You know what? It <laughs> no, looks like, the, like the it same has, volume as like has, a half gallon of milk. But is that the size of my like, stretched out a little bit? <laughs> Is it bigger or smaller than this? Is that for your Switch? This is my keyboard case. It's probably closer to that. Yeah, that okay. would be my guess. I was it's just probably wondering. closer to the side because actually, like the actual dimensions of this holding it like this, as opposed to the yeah. the, the deck itself, feels. So if I put it on my full size keyboard. It extends. Yeah, it is actually everything, but like up to like you know the up uh, to the numpad. 
up to the numpad. So you're saying it's about, 60, it's about a 60 percent. It's about a 60 percent or 65 percent. I mean, that's I, I have. I'll pick up this keyboard right now. I'm doing it right now. See? Comfy. Um, <laughs> Comfy. I have some additional clarifying questions. Yeah, please. Um, regarding the. Oh wait, no, I don't. Sorry, I forgot. I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna do a whole other thing. I apologize. As you were saying, Patrick. <laughs> I mean, look. Like ultimately, I think what's fascinating is like the fact, like the fact that you can't play Wii U games on it. Like it. It is. It's. It, it, you know, Robin pointed this out in reading my review because I. I don't have much experience with gaming laptops, but. Um, it is essentially what people are looking for out of a gaming laptop is like, I would really like to make my PC go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and gaming laptops while advertising themselves as portable and movable, like that's not really what they are. They're just kind of like a smaller desktop that you can, you can get from one place to the other easier than shipping a PC. Yeah. Uh, and that comes with its own sets of trade-offs. Like I was laughing at, you know, watching various people uh, drag their gamer their gamer laptops to dice, which is an industry conference in Las Vegas that uh, was from last weekend, but it also coincided with people arriving as the witch queen uh, arrived. And so people were like, how, how the fuck am I going to play the witch queen while I'm at dice? And you just saw every one of them had these fucking massive tanks I mean, that they depends. were bringing into their hotel rooms. Like the, the one that I have is not bad. And the one that I just like recommended to Natalie is like, it looks mm-hmm. like a regular laptop in terms of size. Like it, <laughs> it really does depend. So like, yeah, but then does it deliver the performance that you'd want? Cause the other thing is like, for you me, often yeah, off. it did. Yeah. Um, because you know, I was like, even like the only thing it really struggled with and Rob, you'll understand why is modded battle tech. Mm. Modded battle tech runs like fucking shit. Uh, and is super CPU intensive. Yeah. Uh, and so that actually pushed my laptop pretty far. But like for a very long time, my laptop was like, it was a thin laptop. It'll it'll do the job. Um, totally fine. Um, you get when I usually think of the gamer laptop settings. Um, it's like it's always like big black. Yeah, I, huge fan. My like experience takes up most of a takes most of a desktop or like like a desk. My experience them has always been either they are enormous. Um, and have like just minimal battery life. Um, yeah. and they're meant to be plugged in. Are they're not throwing, you're gonna, you're gonna get throwing yeah. the heat in every direction or they're smaller and like just much, the ceiling is much lower in terms of what you can ask them to do. Um, that's been my experience. Like I've never, yeah. I never found one that made me truly happy. I, I think that like, I think that like the current generation is like probably, probably totally like capable of handling um, most video games to the degree that most people want to play them. Yeah. Well, that's what the Steam Deck essentially, like it doesn't exist without exactly what Ren's saying, right? Like the Steam Deck is just a different form factor of these like more middle of the road uh, gamer laptops that that Ren is describing and using. And it's like, that's why the Steam Deck is able to exist is that it it can pull off most games running reasonably well in a form factor that like allows you to take it more places. Um, and the part of the reason why I say most people aren't going to bring it out of the house is like, like if you're running any modern game, I mean, the battery just does not last more than two hours, yeah. two and a half. If you're lucky and you, you can start, you know, at least you have the benefit of being able to ratchet down frame rate and other things. If you want to try and extend that out. So say one um, had like a three, a three, three and a half hour train ride. from. Boston, I was going to say, York. I take three-hour train rides very regularly to sure. to Providence, Rhode Island, and so like, I 
that is actually a pretty good pitch for me because I'm thinking like, oh man, I could be playing Elden Ring on the three hour train ride that I take from, from New York to like Boston. Patrick just said you'll be playing it for two hours of that, right? That's what you were, that's what this, this amounts uh, to. Uh, counter, counter, counterpoint, Rob, uh, every single train I've been on has power outlets. <laughs> That's true. They have outlets and they work better than buses. When you get- buses, bus outlets don't work, but train outlets do work. <laughs> Sometimes they don't, though. There are still those Sometimes rare, those rare trains, those rare trains that just, for whatever reason, never got the fucking outlets put on them. Oh, but sometimes uh, they got the outlet and you push it in and nothing happens and you push harder to be like, please make contact with the circuit and just can't. Well, I mean, it also depends on if you're like when I was coming back from Providence the last time it was during a snowstorm and so our train kept losing power. Yes. And so the particular <laughs> part of that was that was a fun oh, experience no. of coming back. This thing from can Providence fully like keep like, itself topped up, though, like playing like plugged in uh, like. High, yeah, high yeah, games. yeah, 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 yeah. And, okay. and, you know, it's just it's one of those things where, yeah, there, there will probably for a lot of people be reasonable instances in which the battery life slots in to whatever their commute or yeah. travel concern. But it's just what it's not a device where like sometimes you can turn your like if you don't touch your switch for a couple of weeks, you'll turn it on and be like, damn, like I can't believe it has that much battery life. I haven't touched it. Your switch deck is going to be your, your steam deck's going to be dead. Right. Like, like it doesn't even like maintain this the power the reason that it has. I asked You're about whether uh, or not docks existed because I can real easy drop that switch into a dock and it'll be. Ready and charged by the next time I pick it up, because it's no, just no. You gotta have USB C cords. Like I, yeah. I, I snaked one up onto my desk. <laughs> I have, I um, like I uh, the one that was charging like one of my Xbox Elite controllers uh, in my upstairs. I just like fuck. All right, no more controller. Like I'm just gonna unplug that USB C and have that dangling under my TV. So I had somewhere to to put it. Um, but you you just have to always be conscious of the power because it is just not going to last very long. That said, it's like one of you know. What's really cool about the device is it's really easy to imagine like a version two or a version three where like these issues become less of a problem. Like it's not hard to imagine that once they've built one of these, another one like the fan and like heating would be a lot less of an issue. The, if there's one thing Valve uh, is famous for, it's iteration. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. Well, that was my I concluding line. I love the line. second line like, of the Steam, the Steam Link. <laughs> uh, the Steam Link, the thing is though, the Steam Link did its job with its first version and I'm sure I would have liked a better version, but there's a reason I bought three of them when mm-hmm. they were discontinuing them because for the like simple purpose of just like transmitting a Steam game from like one room to the next, it still does that job really fucking good. Yeah, um, it's okay. But the problem with the Steam, the Steam Deck is like that's that's less true, right? right? Like this will eventually get outpaced by like the the march of technology and you know games becoming more more demanding and. So it'll be the kind of device that you would want to upgrade and get a new one of in three years. And I don't know that there's any guarantee, even though Valve is out here saying, we're going to we're going to stick by this thing. Like, no, like you've, you've shown absolutely no reason to believe that you'll make another one of these. Like you have every side adventure that the, Valve the has company is rich is and has Steam. ADHD. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, isn't that their, that's their structure, right? Like their entire development structure is essentially, I don't know, you want to wheel your desk over to the thing you find interesting, which is like super cool from like a creative standpoint, probably, but it's like extremely frustrating as like a consumer that would like some sort of belief that this will, uh, like, is everyone that works on this just going to wheel their desk over to the, to the next thing? I don't know. 
Apparently frustrating within Valve too. There's all those like, you know, it sounds really cool, but there's that wave of reports to be like, I can't fucking stand the desk wheeling bullshit. And like, who gets to decide where the desks wheel to? Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, like I like it. Se- like it seems like a really cool foundation. I hope yes. they build on it. But yeah, to your yeah. point, uh, like everything with Valve is like, at best, you get an unfinished symphony. This is what is is what they that what they tend to turn out. But you can all the I think the, the 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 backstop here for this device in particular is so this was not available when I was reviewing it. But you know in the, in the reviewer kit they sent they were like we would we would you know go ahead and install Windows like we don't you know we don't mind like we encourage it on the device for folks who want to do more power usery things. Um, uh, there were there was there was like a driver update they were waiting on for that to. Uh, to be able to work on on the device, but you know the the fact that you can boot out to the desktop, the fact that you can kind of flash it in different directions to do what you want, uh, even in the worst case scenario where Valve drops this and moves on to the next shiny object, they have produced like a really powerful and affordable relative to other things on the market portable PC yeah. that even absent their support, like. I think the community is going to rally around this thing and do lots of cool yeah. shit with it. There is a PS. That will make it. I was going to say there's a new PSP and PS Vita that is going to last basically forever. Yeah, like this is yes. this is the Steam Deck seat reads to me as the savior of the PlayStation Portable and PlayStation Vita catalogs. Um, <laughs> in it the does. Long it term. does right. seem like this thing is releasing an environment where we've all realized, like, wow, everybody's just going to shutter their digital storefronts and like yeah. completely gut their back catalog. Mm-hmm. Well, the will. Nintendo stuff happened like yeah. right leading up, like the last couple of weeks. Nintendo announced that like the eShop for the 3DS and the Wii U are going to shutter. I think it was there was a website. I think it was the Gamer that did an analysis of something like a thousand games currently don't have a home uh, that will just disappear when those storefronts are gone. And sure, you can re-download them from the Nintendo servers if you already own them. But the fact that you can't buy them again essentially, like, you know, condemns yeah. them to uh, a certain amount of digital obs- uh, obscurity. And, like, the fact that the Steam Deck in form factor and accessibility in terms of, like, its hardware layer and its software layer, like, it's exactly as Ren says, like, it how whatever Valve does going forward, they have produced a device that will be an in- I think an important archival tool for people to be able to access certain types of games in a format that is like in a hardware format that is like really appealing. Like when I want to sit and play like an, or like emulate an old game, I don't really want to play Chrono Trigger like on my PC. Like I would want to sit down and do that on my couch and like the Steam Deck, like like emulators are doing much cooler ways of interacting with older games than like what you get off of Nintendo's subscription yeah. service. You know, occasionally you get companies like Capcom that are building in you know, rewind functionality and some of the more advanced things that uh, emulators have been doing for a decade plus now. But who's always going to be on the bleeding edge of that shit? It's going to be community people who are doing the hard work the industry won't do because they there's not a, a financial incentive to to do so. And the Steam Deck provides a really fascinating window into actually interfacing with that stuff in a, in a way that, um, you know, doesn't exist as readily on a, on a switch. Even you can hack a switch, but it's a pain in the ass. It's not, it's not user-friendly. And here it's like the promise of user-friendly do what you want with a device. How long do you think until we get an analog pocket analog, uh, for the Nintendo, for not the Nintendo switch for the DS and 3DS? Or do you Mm. think we, or do you think we ever get that? I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. Like their form factors are so unique Mm -hmm. that I think that that's part of what makes it difficult for, 
uh, like who wants to create like a dual screen portable for those devices specifically. I mean, it's why I think emulation is like where that stuff lives going forward because you just don't have to. Yeah, like there are some that. games that you like you legitimately do need like the clamshell stuff to work well yeah, like, I agree. like Etrian Odyssey games, right? Like if Etrian Odyssey is gonna die with a with a 3DS, then like uh, in 10 years, I want a device that is going to be able to fulfill, like do the emulation of that well. Yeah. Um, the nice part is at least like the 3DS is eminently hackable, like as opposed like the switch the switch is a little harder at the at the moment, but like all those devices reach that point, like like for, far enough away from the companies being interested in security updates, they you know you're you're able to access that hardware if you want to jump through the through the hoops, but um like the switch isn't isn't there yet. And so it's gonna no, be like the, the switch is you know hardware type, you know, that you can't you can't as easily just jump in and start fucking around with it. This is a side note and probably not even like cuddly little Mark here, but just to let you know, going the opposite direction or just like curling up and taking my games on the go. Look how fucking wow. jacked in I am now. Let's go. Let's uh, go. So fun, fun fact. See those two massive bolts on that thing. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess what? We're perfectly sized to not fit uh, any of my power tools, or accurately, MK's power nice, tools. Nice, nice. Uh, so <laughs> I had to nice. physically, with a with a adjustable yeah. wrench, just physically like twist them into a wood stud, uh, old wood stud, so like real hard wood. Uh, right. Just like just thirty short minutes per bolt. Uh, Jesus, just getting nice. those things in. Um, torquing them like a couple inches at a time. This is not a joke. I legitimately love hand drilling. This is this is a this is a Ren fact for you. Is that I just think it's a really good forearm exercise, and I enjoy doing it greatly. There are times where I have had a power drill on hands. If only I've been, been like, here. no, I'll just I'll just do it by hand. Oh, oh man, like, we had to put we had to put up the closet stuff for my kid. Uh, <laughs> like I wish I had a Ren. Ren, there Look. are like. They specifically, it says you cannot use power tools for what we're for what we're doing. And I, I, there's 32 of these. Oh, my can God. I, you know, can I Jesus I'll leave you 20 bucks and I come back in an hour. Um, the one I actually do. The, the thing that I really want. I don't know if we're back in the pod or not. The thing I really want from a steam deck while we're showing things off. The thing I really we never want from we never left from the pod. Right. Kato's going to keep all that. The yeah, thing I really want from a steam deck <laughs> is something standing up. We're doing a lot of camera tricks today. Oh, taking oh, a switch in, and oh, putting it big, in a big old big, car. Uh, that seems like a problem for your cargo pants and not not Valve. <laughs> like you could just make it happen. Yeah, you can't take the 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 control parts no. off the. It's it's a singular machine. It's a singular device. Look yeah. at that though. That's sick. That's beautiful. I want to be able to do that with a Steam Deck so, <laughs> someday. What one we time need. I was at a bar. One time, I, this is the most Renata story on the planet. One time, I was at a bar with some friends, and one of them looks at me and goes, "Can I borrow one of your poetry books?" And I was like, "Yes." And then I had to stand up at the bar and reach into <laughs> one of my fucking massive cargo pants pockets, and then pull out a copy of Adrian Riches into the wreck. Uh, and do then each of your do you like before you wash your pants? Do you have to like double check that you don't have a book? No, no, I washed poetry just in again. there. 
I do. I do actually have to check all my fucking pockets because I lose shit in these pockets all the time. Because I have so many. You could, you know, it's, it's such a good feeling when you're my like folding your laundry and poetry just falls out, and you're like, oh, there's poetry <laughs> I forgot about. I just carry oh, uh, large uh, USB batteries in my car- cargo pockets. <laughs> reaching into my pockets. Oh, is that is that ocean wrongs on Earth were briefly gorgeous? Oh my god, I didn't expect <laughs> that to be falling out of my pants today. Wow. Um, uh, you are not gonna put you're not gonna put a Steam Deck in your. I mean, I want to see the pants that parachute. <laughs> pants. Let's bring them. I guess it's not even a matter of bringing them back. We need we need to now like we we need to invent them. Um, to, to invent what? The new parachute cargo pants? cargo pants. Oh, parachute! Oh my god! That's I love the. Uh, that's okay, the I do love. I do love a good pair of cargo pants. If people have cool cargo pants. Let me know. Uh, the uh, um the the, la- the last note I'll leave us yeah. on is that um I was one of the last things I added to my review because it was one of the last things I experienced with the deck was um the deck will survive an unexpected uh drop from like a car seat height mm. um in 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 the back seat of a car uh if when your kid knocks your hand and then you don't you then realize you haven't uh fully closed you know the 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 carrier for for the steam deck and then it tumbles on to you're in the middle of a i don't know 7 to 8 inch snowstorm mm-hmm. one one in which like the snow is not super sticking but some of it's sticking and mm-hmm. so it's really slushy and wet down there and it's concrete at the bottom but you're thankful that well you're you're, you're mixed you're like you're thankful that the steam deck fell in the slush because it means it didn't take a full hit on the concrete but now you're concerned about what's going to happen with the moisture that's going into those speakers in the front is that a problem and then you're going to sit and sweat about that during the time you're supposed to be watching your kid bounce a, learn how to bounce a basketball but you're mostly sitting there blowing into a steam deck trying to get oh i can just imagine the other fucking dads watching as patrick (laughs) desperately just like sweating, sweating out, like, yeah, and like sweat and dripping trying- down his brow. The coaches look over and see you blowing on your fucking steam deck, and they look at your child missing a pass, and they go, mm, "I see what happened here." Yeah, yeah. And when it when it when it fell, uh, uh, Ren asked recently whether I swear in front of my kids, and I was like, "Yes." Usually, I you know we don't we don't we kept swearing because then the kids don't pick up on it, but. The one time they do pick up on it is when it's like an isolated word that is um, separate from your just like regular speaking right. and was hard to disguise it when I dropped the steam deck and just went fuck like like fuck. loudly right in front of her like basically to her face that managed to go by her. But she asked like, what's wrong? And it's like, ah, oh, daddy dropped this work thing. He's hoping it's OK. He's like and she, <laughs> she goes, well, you know, it wouldn't have dropped if you just double checked. Uh, to the the carry the, like the case you have it in was closed and it's like Jessica the psychic damage you just done to me by saying that was fucking cool. oh my oh. god your and she and she wasn't fucking, saying it to be sarcastic your kid she was very well scoped you oh my god no she just went Kilimanjaro immediately ruined Patrick Klepek <laughs> and because kids don't have like a sense of like like she doesn't she can't operate at like a level of like where she knows she's doing that. So cruelly to me, she is just being nice and pointing out an obvious fact. I, I almost just laid down. I was like, I'm just gonna lay in the slush. Like I'm good here. Like I'm, 
You know what, Jessica? Can you make? You know how to get to the gym. It's just over the corner. I'm just. I'm one with the slush now. My, my child has destroyed me. I so don't appreciate it. I am the slush man. In that vein, um, when we were attaching this giant like monitor arm yesterday, the last times you're putting the 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 thing over like a giant bolt basically um mm-hmm. that will like form the the hinge for the articulating arm um there's a point where we convinced ourselves that we we had put it on wrong because this thing has a really weird we thought we'd be able to solve for this but it doesn't tilt forward further than it is than it is right now but let me show you how ridiculous the backward tilt is which is useless to me um but like it just <laughs> keeps going. Look back. at him go. Well, oh, my God. Now we're, what you need to now do we're is locked. You got to lower the screen to like chest height, right? And then put it over your keyboard. So you're looking down as if you were looking at your keyboard, but instead your screen is there. So you're, but so you're ruining, so your, you're ruining your That neck. helps. Yeah, that you're, helps. You're ruining your fucking neck while players. pretending. <laughs> While pretending to wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Hold on, let me show. Uh, I have to find an image. Your neck. Um, well, also pretending to be an architect. I fucking guess. That's, at a so that's the table. thing. Right? That's the only use case I could think of. Is like this is for like those standing desk motherfuckers, and I used to be one of them. But like, it's a little bit overstated the benefits. But like, it's for people who are like, you I'm know what? A computer should be a draftsman's desk, and it's like no fucking shouldn't. They're different machines. Right, you're not using the same situation. Yeah, you're not drafting. You're not, yeah, you're, you're not, not drafting. Unless you are literally an artist with a fucking Cintiq. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> uh, I can't find this fucking image. Well, there's, a, there's a man who plays uh, Valorant uh, professionally, and it is tilted backwards and uh, three inches from his face. And why? The position of his neck is painful to look at. <laughs> this is uh, like where... I hate professional. <laughs> this is where the like CS:GO settings are just like loathsome. Where it's like I would not. Oh play. yeah, like it would low res stretched out game. so that the pixels are wider. Therefore, you can just see them easier. Because all you need is that center pixel to be on someone's head, and if the head is wider, it's easier to track to. Apparently, gross. <laughs> um, but so we were we, we became convinced we had to remove it from that bolt. Yeah, and like change the fitting, flip it around, and it wouldn't come off the bolt. And we're sitting there and like we're applying more and more force and we're starting to see the thing mounted on the wall flex, but not Ooh. like there's no movement on the bolt. And we're like, how oh, this guy. So it turns into a two person job, like using a screwdriver, to like shim it off and it doesn't come. It doesn't come slowly moving up until it moves all at once. Like the, the contact breaks and this entire. uh is it a 30 pound monitor? I feel like it might be 30 pounds. Oh my this God. This entire wow. 30 pound monitor goes from me, like using all my strength to move it, to being completely disconnected and now flying free. And it flies. <laughs> this thing comes off the hinge and immediately, like, overbalances and just hammers down on the desk. Oh. And now there is a <gasps> deep gouge. In the desk with little no. bits of monitor in it. Oh, little bits of. Mo- Can I please see this gouge? I am desperate to see this gouge. It, it's not as dramatic. It probably won't be as dramatic on this on on the camera. But oh no, that's pretty that's dramatic. It's the it's the it's the bits of monitor in it that are really distressing. How's your monitor? 
appears to be fine. <laughs> um, dodged a bullet. Seems like, okay. Yeah, it, uh, it, it appears to be none the worse for wear. And the weird thing is I can't even find the scratches that this thing left. Like, where did it? It was one of those things where I think the desk lost and the monitor won. It yeah, the, go, the monitor did win, I guess. And here's the other thing: it was one of those things where like the bad thing happens and you hear a bunch of pieces go flying and skittering, but afterwards you have like a full accounting of everything. So where did the things go? Oh, no. um, who can say? Uh, oh, the, Rob, we have there's a um, like the 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 furniture we bought. Ah, God, almost 15 years ago now that is that survived multiple moves from a San Francisco to L.A., back to San Francisco, then to Chicago, then to out in the burbs. And we never quite got rid of it because it would get chipped in certain ways, but it was all like hideable yep. or like wouldn't be noticed by someone else. And like, that's fine. But in the disconnecting it and putting it back together um, over the years, we just lost certain screws and I'd go to put it back together. I'm like, we don't have that one now. Uh, let's see if it works. And we've had this house for, you know, five and a half years now. And like, <laughs> there are pieces that seem mission critical <laughs> to that, to that stuff working. Never fallen over, never caused us any issues. Oh, and, uh, see, now I'm terrified. I come visit Patrick. This is how I will, I will find those weak points. It'll be like, why did all her <laughs> furniture collapse under Rob? Well, it turns out without that bolt, it was like weight tolerant up to like 160. Uh, and nobody in this house ever tipped that. Why is Rob buried under 75 horror Blu-rays? Like, what's he doing down there? <laughs> why is? Oh, dear. Um, oh, gosh. We we just got a picture of... Um, there's a lot of things I don't like in this this picture, Kato. Yeah, why the, the fuck is he holding his keyboard face? at a 90-degree angle? Oh, that's just a this, thing that a bunch of CS guys do. This is an even worse image of it. This of his, sucks. So he's getting so close, and it's at such a height that his head is fully like tilted back. If he were to sit up, he would be looking at the ceiling. But imagine this. Imagine he had your mount and he could slide that monitor between his arms and where his head is, and then his neck would be straight over the, the situation. That's Maybe. who this is. It's for Redgar from Gambit, <laughs> pro Valorant player, uh, who sits horribly. It would help him in this situation. He wouldn't have to sit so horribly. It sucks so bad to look at. It sucks <laughs> so fucking bad to look at. I, yeah. You know what? That's not good. Fuck it's video games. Like, I'm anti-video games now. <laughs> These shit suck. Get the fuck out of here. They bad, break your bad body. Technology. <laughs> Turns out. They well, ruin your body. That'll do it for mind. this week's Waypoints. We hope you've enjoyed the break. <laughs> Please be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Really if it allows such a thing. That's the you want I just want to put a side mm-hmm. note before you continue with your outro. I think we never do is like ask people to review the podcast, and we should do that more often. The only time we yeah. do. The only time we make that request is during waypoints. One of the least frequent <laughs> things we do. Just wanted to avoid that. Just you know, just a, just a, just a note. Yeah. Continue, continue yeah. along, Rob. I think we're a five star podcast, but it's not for me to say. It's for you, the listener. Our theme music is "Slide Asleep" by Two Mellow. We'll be back again with Waypoint Radio on Friday. Until then, do not give in to astonishment.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We're now anti-video games. <laughs> Do not give in to the establishment, which is video games. <laughs> What are we getting into now, though? Crypto. No. No. I was actually going to ask recently if we could do like a weird pivot. I was thinking like, I don't know. Pivot to train, maybe. Trains. Trains are hot. Mm. There's that guy on TikTok hot. who really loves trains. I was going to say. Francis? I remember that. Yeah. And then weren't people Francis. mad because they found out he had a girlfriend? And well, that's anyone upset. on the internet being mad. Right. Yeah. yeah. I guess What's that's wrong? They they imagine themselves with the person that they are watching constantly and are like, oh no, now they're taken and that fantasy is gone. Did it get outed? Because at one point, like there was clearly on the video, was traveling with somebody, and that's what people like made people realize like that man has a companion. I don't know. I don't know actually how it happened. Yeah, it was it was something like that though. I, I never. I'm I, hitting record so I, I can had talk a friend. about this. What the fuck are you saying? I had a friend, like who who was just hitting me up, who was like, "Should I get into vinyl?" And I was like, "Absolutely." Mind you, it doesn't make a difference, but absolutely, um, it does make a difference. But anyway, we had a long discussion. But that same friend used to be a big collector of, um, like, music DVDs, not like concerts mm-hmm. and shit, but like albums that were released on DVD in non-stereo sound formats. Um, um, and like, it turns out there is a diehard subculture around that because a few producers and artists did really love like, hey, actually, you can do really cool things with surround formats and just nobody does it because that's not how music is generally handled. Um, and I was kind of curious, like, so this is an earlier song. This is an earlier album than Yoshimi, like the one that they broke out in a lot of pop cultures. Uh, Zurika is the eighth studio album by the American rock band Flaming Lips released on October 8th. 28, 1997. The album consists of four CDs designed so that when played simultaneously on four separate audio systems, they would produce a harmonic or juxtaposed sound. The disc could also be played in different combinations, omitting one, two or three discs. Each of its eight songs consists of four stereo tracks, four stereo tracks, one from each CD. Uh, yada, yada, yada. I have no, I have no idea if it's just a gimmick or it's like... So you'd have to have friends to like be there in the room with you to be like, hey guys, we're all doing this. Like we're all going to hit play on these different CD players we've got. The logi- like- okay, logistics of listening is a different segment on this wiki. Uh, the speakers being used may be physically positioned in many different config- configurations, i.e. at different heights or in entirely different rooms. Some listeners may even choose to disable the left or right speaker of one or more systems. Synchronization errors between the audio systems may cause effects such as reverb or echo being heard in one disc on the original sound was produced on the other, yada, yada, yada. Uh, yeah. Critical reaction to, to, to Zurika was polarized. Mm. One would imagine, but now now I think we have to go back. Maybe, yeah, maybe it just wasn't appreciated at the time. But um, if someone just took all those discs and uh, made a stereo master out of them? <laughs> well, I presume that's just what's on, like, Spotify or whatever. Maybe right. they just like, refuse to have the, it shared. 
<laughs> no, let's, look, let's look on Apple Music right now. Load this up. Through the miracle of stereo, it's as if you had a bunch of friends hitting play on those stereo on those uh, CD players all yeah. at once, right just, in your ears. Someone's you just use that uh, yeah. Dol- Dolby. Uh, what is it? Atmos. Yeah, there. So stereo, like faking. There is. There's like two formats that they're like trying to push as like it's not on Apple Music. Listening, they they they. they I, I wonder if they just don't put it on these services. They refuse to have it mastered in stereo. Yes. It's beautiful. That would be the best option. Respect. And now I got to look at Spotify and see if that's the same. But it would seem like it would be weird. Apple Music seems to have everything else. <laughs> My headphones support a format that I've never seen in the wild, like uh. 360 audio or something. Something Sony is like trying to push as like. Oh, yeah, yeah this is they, the- it, it, they did it in a response to Apple has something called spatial audio. Um, yeah. And now everyone's trying to put out a version that but, matches. Uh, but nobody seems to support any of this. Like spatial audio is all over Apple Music. I don't know what it like. I've never used it, you know. So I don't. My, but it's on yeah. most of like the new albums. My um, gamer so headphones have done that for years, and I think it actually works really well. Uh, they have like a fake 3D, which is, I think, system side the machine looks like a stereo system, like through USB, mm-hmm. but. It outputs to st- to stereo headphones, processed by this little mix amp thingy, and it sounds like shit's behind me. Like I don't know, it fucking works. I like play Destiny and I hear the fucking monsters behind me, and I know to turn around even without looking at my loot radar. Yeah, I've it's I've, like uh, it's yeah, kind of wild. I don't understand exactly. It might just be that I'm used to it because I've been using this headset since like 2013 or something. This shit. is me when I convinced myself that EAX really was creating right. <laughs> like a 360 degree like stereo panorama. Look, I understand that that noise, that the way that that sounded it, it's trying to signal behind me so I, mean, I like, know that's, to turn my character Valorant around. does this too. Like Valorant you can tell when someone's behind you in Valorant. Yes. I, I think I I think it's honestly probably just like a lot of volume manipulation and like mixing because if you do volume manipulation and mixing you can like you just have to duck a, a. I'm guessing if you duck a sound in front of you and basically make it a different volume when it's mm. behind you, your brain will be able to identify like, okay, cool, I know what's happening here. That's that's what I assume is 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 part of what's going on. Just because like I know that like Valorant does this totally fine. I was like I I like to fuck around with sound in video games and like talk to an NPC and spin the camera around and feel physically where it's happening in my ears. Um, Because it makes my brain feel good when I can like be like, "Uh (laughs) Uh and before the voice was here, now it's over there, and now it's here. (laughs) That's neat. Um, All right, we should clap in, right? Oh yeah, sure. This is just a podcast now. Yeah, we we the album is not not on Spotify, so is um. Please write in and tell me about Zurika. Yeah, if you've listened to Zurika the way it's meant to be listened to. Hey, everyone, uh, I just want to say uh, happy Rare Disease Day uh, to everyone out there Shout with out um, time that rare is diseases. The <laughs> um, oh, I thought you were my, fucking with me. Nah, oh, no, time that is, it's Rare Disease Day. Shout out to my narcoleptics, uh, my Ellers Danlos havers. Um, as, uh, as one of my partner's doctors uh, said at one point, you know, there's a ton of diseases that like their incidence is rare, but the odds that somebody will get a rare disease in their lifetime, not as low as you might think. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of diseases. <laughs> so we can it's, all collect our own shiny Pokemon. 
Yep, it's a it's a real it's a real problem. Shout out uh, to all my chronically ill baddies listening to <laughs> listening to my playing. <laughs> uh all right. Uh so time dot is let's clap on 45. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, we nailed it. 